Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. In 2016, the Russian government attacked our democracy. They interfered in the presidential election in sweeping and systematic fashion. They hacked emails, spread lies on social media. And made hundreds of contacts with the Trump campaign. All as a part of a massive covert operation. To help Donald Trump become president. In May 2017, the Department of Justice appointed former FBI Director Robert Mueller as a special counsel to investigate connections between Russia and the Trump campaign. Mueller delivered his report on March 22nd, and it contains the most damning evidence ever compiled against a sitting U.S. president. Yet, virtually no one has read it. And before the report was even released, Trump's Attorney General William Barr lied about its contents. He told the American people that the president had done nothing wrong. And Trump was more than happy to echo that propaganda. Total exoneration, complete vindication, no collusion, and no No obstruction, no nothing. That is an outright lie. Mueller found plenty of evidence of collusion. The Trump campaign knew about Russia's illegal attack on our election. They welcomed it and encouraged their help. That's collusion. And recently, Donald Trump, seated in the Oval Office, acknowledged that collusion. In fact, he admitted that in a future election, he would break the law and do it all over again. I think you might want to listen. I don't, there's nothing wrong with listening. I think I'd want to hear it. You want that kind of interference in our elections? It's not an interference. They have information. I think I'd take it. <laughs> but we knew that. Here are some other specific examples from the Mueller report. One, in the spring of 2016, a Russian operative told a Trump advisor that the Russian government had dirt on Hillary Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. The advisor then worked to arrange a meeting between the campaign and the Russian government. That's collusion. Two, in June of 2016, Donald Trump Jr. received an email offering dirt on Hillary Clinton as, quote, part of the Russian government's support, unquote, of his father. Don Jr. replied within minutes. If it's what you say, I love it, especially later in the summer. Four days later, on June 9th, 2016, he set up a meeting in Trump Tower with a Putin-connected Russian lawyer, the campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, and Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. That's collusion. Three, on July 22nd, 2016, WikiLeaks worked with Russia to release thousands of emails stolen from the Democratic National Committee. Trump knew Russia was behind the attack, and his staff prepared a strategy to take advantage of future releases. At a press conference a few days later, Trump said, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. That same day, the Russians made their first attempt to hack Hillary Clinton's private email servers. That's collusion. It's clear Russia was helping Trump, but it's also clear the Trump campaign was helping Russia. When Trump got his first intelligence briefing and the FBI warned him that the Russians were trying to infiltrate his campaign and urged him to report any suspicious activity, did he? No. He ignored the warning and continued to collude with the Russians. Four. In the run-up to the election, 
Donald Trump Jr. repeatedly communicated with WikiLeaks. And Trump ally Roger Stone kept in regular contact with a Russian military intelligence hacker who gave him, quote, the turnout model for Clinton's entire campaign, unquote. That's collusion. Five. On August 2nd, 2016, Trump campaign managers Paul Manafort and Rick Gates met with a Russian agent in a cigar bar in New York City. This was one of many meetings where they shared the campaign's internal polling data and their electoral strategy, specifically the targeting of Midwestern states. Let me say that again. Trump's campaign manager shared Trump's election strategy with Russia. That's the textbook definition of collusion. The Trump campaign had over 200 contacts with Russian operatives. Again, let's repeat that. Over 200 contacts with Russian operatives. The campaign never reported any of it. Instead, Trump lied and tried to hide everything from the investigators and the American public. Simply stated, Trump sided with a hostile enemy power against the United States. He colluded with Russia and compromised our democracy. All this is in the report. Please just read it for yourself. Then demand that Trump and members of his campaign and administration come before Congress and testify in public under oath so that Trump may be held accountable. Donald Trump, if you are listening on behalf of the American people, we will hold you accountable. Because no one, no one, no one, not even the President of the United States is above the law. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 25th of June, year of our Lord, 2019, and recovery is harder than I thought, so I have not been able to get to a computer. For that, I apologize. Um, This is the soonest I could do it. We had appointments and PT and uh, lack of sleep, because I'm her battle buddy. When she gets up, I get up, so I'm getting about an hour and a half sleep and then going on a pee run. So, uh, been some sleepless nights and... Just couldn't get to it. But I wanted to start off with uh, that lump of shit. That was your Hollywood betters telling you what you need to think about the Bueller Report. Because remember, there's nothing there. But for them, there is something there. Because Orange Man bad. You're stupid if you don't think he's bad. And so they want you to think he's bad. So Then we start off uh, Trump's campaign. And, wow, we've had 30 people in a clown car for months come up with the most insane shit ever that the media just nod their heads to. But uh, when Trump does it, it sounds a little something like this. 2016 was not merely another four-year election. This was a defining moment in American history. Ask them right there.
By the way, that is a lot of fake news back there. That's a lot. That's a lot. You know what I say? The amount of press we have tonight reminds me of the Academy Awards before it went political and their ratings went down the tubes. This was our chance to reclaim our government. All right, we've been watching the president kick off his re-election bid. He's been on stage for about six minutes. Within two minutes, he did talk about the economy, uh, but within four minutes, it was attacks on the media. So uh, he was talking about a bright, rosy future, but then quickly reverted to some of the same themes he's been talking about since he began running four years ago today. The president not really trying to persuade new voters to join him, but really trying to supercharge his loyal base. That's the 2020 strategy. Last night, airing the same grievances against the same perceived enemies. There really wasn't a lot of new material last night, certainly the same old grudges. He has a new slogan, keep America great. But he's fighting old battles. As the speech went on, the president made dark, unfounded attacks against Democrats. President Trump launched his bid for a second term by painting a scary picture of America's future if he's not reelected. He accused his critics of un-American conduct, that's a quote, lashed out at the press, and claimed that Democrats, quote, want to destroy our country. He revisited old rivalries, aired familiar grievances. The president painted a dire picture of what will happen if he loses. And he stuck to the familiar talking points that he's relied on since his unlikely first run four years ago. Candidates certainly responded to him, including Bernie Sanders, who described watching the speech as, quote, an unpleasant experience. No bias, though. There's zero, zero bias. But understand, part of the reason why they're kind of worried is that Gallup just had the highest ever rating for illegal immigration. 23% of Americans. To paste it off that, uh, the highest had been was 22% in 2018, but it was in the 15s. But remember, Pelosi says this. When I saw that the president was going to have these rates, I mean, it was so appalling. It's outside the circle of civilized human behavior to just be kicking down doors, splitting up families, and the rest of that, in addition to the injustices that are happening at the border. We have legislation to go forward to address those needs. But in terms of interior enforcement, what is the you know, what, what's the point? You know, well, I won't even go into what the motivation might be for that here, because this is not a political event. They're still tone deaf. They're just completely tone deaf of what America thinks. And to show that it's just not the politicians. Last podcast, we talked a little bit about reparations. Now it's gone mainline MSM. Debate was heated. At times, the spectators grew boisterous as a House subcommittee held a hearing today on whether to set up a commission to study paying reparations to the descendants of Americans who were enslaved. It was the first hearing on this issue in a dozen years, and it came on the anniversary of Juneteenth, which commemorates the end of slavery in the U.S. Ed O'Keefe has more on this. 
This is a very important hearing. It is historic. It is urgent. New Jersey Senator and presidential candidate Cory Booker spoke today in favor of paying reparations to the descendants of slaves. We as a nation must address this persistent inequalities or we will never fully achieve the strength and the possibility. But even before this hearing began, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell weighing in and sparking controversy. I don't think reparations for something that happened 150 years ago for whom none of us currently living are responsible is a good idea. Uh, we've, you know, tried to deal with our original sin of slavery by fighting a civil war, by passing uh, landmark civil rights legislation. Uh, we've elected an African-American president. That touched a nerve. Writer Ta-Nehisi Coates firing back. For a century after the Civil War, black people were subjected to a relentless campaign of terror. A campaign that extended well into the lifetime of Majority Leader McConnell. Many 2020 Democratic presidential hopefuls now backing some form of reparations. Most Republicans reject the idea of taxpayer-funded reparations. I just think we're so far removed from the event. We've, you know, tried to deal with our original sin of slavery by fighting a civil war, by passing uh, landmark civil rights legislation. Uh, We've elected an African-American president. A new chapter in a growing national debate. That's like just a tip. Just a little bit. I, I still don't understand how you justify that. We talked about it a lot on the show, but I don't know how you justify reparations for people that were not slaves. Most of us are so muddy, we don't even know where we came from. But I guarantee majority of the white people who they're going to make pay weren't even here when there was slavery. Guarantee that. But as they do this, they also promote one of the most racist, sexist, fucking, or not sexist, but uh, homophobic people for the DCCC. They promoted uh, Taylor Coleman. A Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee official trapped this last week to lead a new multi-million dollar initiative connected to the people of color and younger Americans, deleted thousands of old tweets after the Washington Free Beacon reached out regarding many homophobic and racially insensitive posts. Remember, these are the people that are going to make you lose your career if you get caught. Yeah. So... Gonna head into the subjects today. We got a little bit of Iran, a little bit of Hope Hicks, and a few other things. Before I get there, I gotta hit some more media stuff I saw over the last uh, week. And here's Meet the Press, which has now become a safe place for Democratic candidates because, you know, Chuck Todd's all in. And tell me if this Jake Tapper interview doesn't sound like literally a debate between a Democrat and a Republican. Yeah. Then we're going into Iran. How important do you think it is for the Democratic Party to make sure they nominate somebody that isn't a white male? Running from the West Coast. Mm-hmm. We know that the whatever it is, there's an East Coast bias in this country, even a central time zone bias this country. Is it how high is that hurdle sometimes, just simply the time zone? Uh, last month, some ICE agents arrested two of your constituents uh, in South Bend. I know it's illegal to be a sanctuary city in Indiana, but Gary has pushed the envelope. Why haven't you? Is there anything Donald Trump's done as president, you think? You know what? That wasn't bad. When I heard you say up there, you came two and a half points short, I was thinking, what if you hadn't? The right's going to basically hammer and sickle you to death. 
How do you prevent it? Do you think the Second Amendment, as it's written, prevents gun control the way the Supreme Court says it does? Is a reparations debate uh, a good debate, or is it one that could get um, uh, that could get taken out of context? Give me three or four books that you read that would say, you know what? This, if you read those books, you'll get an idea of how I think. We're the Manos. Welcome to our show. We'll never allow Iran to obtain a nuclear weapon. So, so they're lashing out, but my question was, um, th- are they reaching out? The one precondition is well, that's a precondition. they need to give up the nuclear weapons. Well, that's, I mean, a, precondition. We, we're here, that's we, a precondition, though. We're one of the leading exporters of energy in the world. I want to get to immigration. But, but 90% of the people never show up for their hearing in the, in the months ahead. We, we've got to not, close I, I the loopholes. I don't think that, that number is accurate, about we, 90% not showing up. I think a majority but, do show up. I'm talking about the kids I mean, in our custody right here, now. Just listen to this. This is the New Yorker Jake, citing Jake, a team of lawyers who Jake, just visited Jake, a Jake, here's, here's the hard fact. As yeah. I say, I'll answer your I question. I just want to read this quote. The conditions here, the lawyers found were shocking. I, I think Democrats would argue that they want to do a deal with President Trump, but he hasn't showed any inclination. But I do. First of all, I want to say one thing. I don't, I don't you, know where that would come from. This president. You said a second ago that 90% of the people who get detained don't Jake, show up for their court hearings. Jake. And the Justice Department data says it's 60 to 70 percent. But I want to ask you a question about climate change. Do you think it's a threat? Man-made climate emergency is a threat. I, I think the answer to that is going to be based upon the science. Well, the science says yes. I'm well, asking you what you think. There's many in the science that... The science community debate, in your own administration, uh, yeah. at NOAA, yeah, I got uh, at, the, at the DNI, they all say it's a I threat. Look, what the but president has said, some reason. Well, America mm-hmm. has the cleanest air and water in the world We'll continue to use market forces. We don't have the cleanest air and water in the world. We don't. Will you get back to me with some statistics? We're making through continuing to support as our administration. You just rolled back all these clean. These clean. Turn back to if China offers your campaign information on your Democratic opponents, should people in your campaign accept it, or should they call the FBI? I think we're very clear that we'll call the FBI. Call the FBI. Okay. On this. Look, well, the uh, president wasn't clear about it, but you well, are. Well, no, I, I take issue with that. He said he'd do both. Well, that's, call not, call, that's not calling the FBI. Well, you know, he, he said he'd call the FBI. And he, he said maybe he would. subsequent comments that he'd call the FBI. So, mm-hmm. uh, we, had a, we had a good midterm election. I can tell you that the FBI lost the worked house. very aggressively. Well, <laughs> I'm talking about with Oh, you're talking about security. the interference. Got it. Yeah, Got yeah, it. Yeah. Well, we are very honored that you came here this morning. Don't let it be another two and a half years till the next time we get to talk to you. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> You have any concerns about the handling of Iran right now? Yeah, I think they're trying to goad us into a military conflict that's completely irresponsible. Thank you. The meeting of the Democrats still want to pretend like we just didn't, like, hand them a bunch of money and then change policies and they're bad actors. Ben Rhodes had the gall to literally sound just like AOC in our soundbite. This is precisely why politics isn't a game. Diplomatic agreement should be honored and temperament intelligence. Tell intellect and judgment are what matters and who is the president. Iran, incoherence and danger of unnecessary war. Children detained in horrific conditions, risking, uh, rising risk of economic downturn. Constitutional norms gutted. It takes time for a president's action to become manifest in consequences. Now these, we see them unfolding before our eyes. We didn't need to pull out of the deal that was working and we don't need to go to war over a drone. Miss Total Islamist. Ilian Omar, just as in Iraq, aggressors are using illegitimate pretexts to beat the drums of war. Just as in Iraq, our media is taking these claims of faith value. 
Just as in Iraq, children will die, America's lives will be lost, and the world will be less safe. No war with Iran. They really kind of lost it on all this. I I don't understand. AG Conservative, this is where Rhodes assumes correctly reporters are going to ignore, one, number of previous agreements with allies instead of enemies. Obama admin abandoned Poland Missile Defense Shield, Israeli Settlements, Budapest Memorandum, etc. Two, Rhodes and company explicitly argued that the nuclear deal was strictly about nuclear issues and should not consider and impose requirements related to Iran's other rogue behavior. The very behavior that has continued and they are now blaming on withdrawal from a deal that didn't work. We had proof post-with it didn't work. It showed they were still doing what the fuck they were doing to begin with because we handed them a boatload of cash so they could do it. So Iran's still out there. I still hear it occasionally. I'm not going to go into he ordered attack and then canceled the attack because then they criticized him for that. So as per SOP with Trump, it, it doesn't really matter what he does. He's going to be fucked. Let's go to Democratic fucking sexism. We say it all the time. They can say whatever they want to conservative women, call them whores, sluts, say all sorts of horrible shit. Media never loses it on them. But this one, I think Nadler went a little too far. Because if you've lost CNN, you're done fucked up. To the other part about the conduct of the Democratic majority. Go back to the very beginning when Nancy Pelosi won the speakership. She said, we're going to investigate. We're going to investigate in a whole bunch of committees. We believe we have every right and every reason to do so on a whole bunch of issues. And she promised they would be serious, credible, and prepared. Hope Hicks is in the room. This is her attorney. Mr. I think there are a number of people taking pictures here. And I just want to say that I think it's making the witness uncomfortable. And I would very much appreciate it as a courtesy. If nothing else, if we could, Chairman Nadler, that's fine. If people will please refrain from taking pictures. A, A, why are Congress people taking pictures of a witness in a, in a, if you're having a serious, prepared, thorough investigation? What is that all about? And then B, for the conversation, Chairman Nadler himself, who called off the picture-taking there, uh, repeatedly referred to her as Miss Lewandowski. Corey Lewandowski was the campaign manager. On several occasions, he called her, and you see one of them on your screen there. We are not, Mr. Chairman, Miss Lewandowski. Her name is Hope Hicks. He fought to get her testimony. He knows her name is Hope Hicks. At one point, she said, my name is Miss Hicks, Mr. Chairman. Um, if you're going to make a case to the American people that you're conducting serious, credible investigations and you're prepared... Why be amateur and offensive? It definitely undermines the case. I mean, it's, it's clearly unprofessional for people to be taking pictures in a closed hearing. Kind of unbelievable that they would do that. But on the Lewandowski thing, there's a big debate about whether it was intentional, slip of the tongue, whatever. Either way, any woman being called something other than their name, being called Miss Some Other Man's Name, is it's offensive. It, Hope Hicks would be right to be... It's a little shaken by that, and I think that um, it's an unforced error on Nadler's part. He probably, at this point, ought to apologize to her because uh, now that it's out there, it's being, it's becoming this, a source of criticism among Hicks's defenders, who say this is proof that uh, the Democrats aren't being serious, that they uh, won't even be respectful to a woman in this context. I don't know what was in his mind, but he should probably explain it to people at this point. At one point, he said he was preoccupied. He said, I'm sorry, I'm preoccupied. You're the chairman of the committee. You have what you think is a star witness. You have in Hope Hicks, someone who knows so much, who was around candidate Trump all the time, around President Trump all the time. She's important to the 
they are conducting a credible, serious investigation, you would think he would not be preoccupied. And it undermines their case, I think, to yeah. not show her respect right. because she is important. She was one of the closest people to President Trump uh, throughout crucial periods of time. And to, to call her names that are not her name or not afford her the respect by calling her Mrs. Hicks, then I think that that undermines their whole case that she's important and deserves respect. And it raises these questions about what are the Democrats doing with their majority, which if you're a Democrat elected in one of these swing districts, perhaps you know, took a seat from a Republican, you want to go back and be able to show people that you've been doing something, and this eclipses a lot of other things right now. Speaker set high bar. Shouldn't be hard for me. This is pretty fucked up. Representative Naylor referred to Hope Hicks three times as Mrs. Luminowski during testimony. Former White House Director of Communication Hope Hicks testified close, close, behind closed doors for the House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday. A transcript of the interview revealed that Hicks declined to answer more than 150 questions, signing immunity. Chairman Nadler was especially rude during the interview, referring to Hicks on three separate occasions as Mrs. Luminoski, even though she introduced herself as Hope Hicks. Luminoski is the last name of former Trump campaign manager Corey Luminoski. During his questioning of Hicks, Nadler asked if the former communication director was asserting privilege and declining to answer questions relating to her time as an advisor for Trump. After going back and forth with Michael Perpura, Deputy Counsel to Trump, Naylor directed his attention to Hicks to try and get her to answer whether she was asserting any privilege. Miss Lubinowski, he asked. Hicks let it slide and simply said she was following instructions in the White House. Later in the testimony, Naylor again used the wrong name, referring to Hicks. Miss Lubinowski, sorry, Miss Hicks, read the next two sentences also if you have it, he instructed. Hicks and White House attorney have been provided a copy of Special Counsel Mueller's report. The third time Naylor referred to as Miss Luminowski, Hicks corrected him. Chairman Naylor, yeah, Miss Luminowski, I think in reading this, Miss Hicks, my name is Miss Hicks. I'm sorry, Miss Hicks. I'm preoccupied. The Judiciary Committee released a 273 page transcript. Chuck Ross, reporter for the Daily Caller, uploaded it to Scribed. Some speculated that Nader called Hicks Miss Luminoski because of an unconfirmed rumor that she had an affair with Luminoski. Member of the left wing media, of course, jumped to Nadler's defense. John Harwood said, pretty sure Nadler didn't call her Luminoski on purpose. Yeah, okay. New York Times reporter Glenn Thrush used a similar defense of Nadler, asking Twitter users, do you have evidence either from sources or prior behavior that would suggest he did this intentionally? This defense caused its own problem for Nadler. Harwood and Thrush insisted it was some sort of accident, but to suggest something is wrong with Nadler right now, and he probably should be conducting hearings if he can't keep people's names straight. At the end of May, Nadler appeared to faint at a press conference, and it was reported he was dehydrated, but people said it looked like he had a seizure. And then they contrasted to what, what happened with Susan McDonnell. I'm Susan McDonough. When I refer to testify against, when I refuse to testify against Bill Clinton, Republicans put me in jail for 18 months. I'm Hope Hicks. I refuse to testify against Donald Trump. Go fuck yourself. That was a big thing online for the libs. They thought that was really important. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's so stupid. Alex Griswold. This has nearly 12K retweets, including from those who should know better, but it's quite false. McDougal was jailed by a judge. Because she was in a federal courtroom. This is before Congress. Joy Reid retweeted this. 
Then people got pissed off because she's an attractive woman. Annette O'Keefe says, and lawmakers wonder why America hates them. It's just really, John King even says it. It undermines Speaker's case that Dems would be serious and prepared for their investigation. Sure, the privilege claims are ought, but amateur and offensive, not the right response. Alyssa Farah, that's sexist garbage. Hope was a White House communication director before age 30 and is a senior exec in a major media corp. But of course, Naylor tries to define her by gossip and innuendo and assign her a man's name when she was more than made her own for herself. And that's the point and why I bring it up. I bring it up because in this Me Too era and misogyny, and later on we'll hear more about the fucking Handmaid's Tale and how it's so apropos to modern world where women are running around in red coats and being baby factories. I don't know where that is, but that's what they say. This is the kind of shit that happens to Republican women just for not thinking and voting the way you do. And they get a pass. There's no outcry. There's no call for him to be fucking fired. When, if this was a committee by Republicans and they did some kind of bullshit like this, oh, it would be on like Donkey Kong. But it's what we do. For a period of two months, we talked about AOC and Omar and the crazy shit they said. They still got a job. And AOC said this anti-Semitic shit. The United States is running concentration camps on our southern border. And that is exactly what they are. They are concentration camps. And um, if that doesn't bother you, I don't... I like, we can have, okay, whatever. I want to talk to the people that are concerned enough with humanity to say that we should not, that never again means something. And that um, the fact that concentration camps are now an institutionalized practice in the home of the free is extraordinarily disturbing. Um, and we need to do something about it. This week, children, uh, immigrant children were moved to the same internment camps where the Japanese were held in, in, the, early, in the earlier 20th century. And this is, um, this is not even about a crisis for, this is not just about the immigrant communities being held in concentration camps being a crisis, this is a crisis for ourselves. This is a crisis on if America will remain America uh, in its actual principles and values, or if we are losing to an authoritarian and fascist presidency. And so I think that that is, um, you know, I don't use those words lightly. I don't use those words to just throw bombs. Um, I use that word because that is what an administration that creates concentration camps is. Um, A presidency that creates concentration camps is fascist. And it's very difficult 
to say that. Hi, could I get a moment of your time? Could you tell me, do you, do you agree with AOC that ICE is running to, uh, concentration camps on the border? There are camps and people are being concentrated. This is very simple. I don't even know why this is a controversial thing for her to say. We have to uh, really truthfully speak about what's taking place. And this is why it's really important for us to abolish ICE and make sure that we have an agency that is accountable to the people, that is dealing with the situation in a humane way. There's no, there's no way that we can allow um, for kids to be caged. Uh, in, in this country and, and children to be separated from their families uh, and people being terrorized in their communities. Um, is it, is it we, fair we, to communicate? We have Sorry. to make sure that we are calling it out, and I am 100% with Alex. Adam, it doesn't strike me as like an accident that, that this is, you know, the day before. He's, he's sort of boasting of this the day before he's doing his uh, sort of pretend relaunch. The crowd uh, just a few minutes ago apparently chanting, lock her up. Uh, the, the sort of the desire to see other people behind bars, imprisoned, detained, is kind of been a core part of the message from the beginning. Well, look, the, the fact that uh, the, the emotional uh, stress that this causes the, the population being targeted is actually more important to Trump than actually carrying it out. Hmm. Because by announcing it, he's actually undermined ICE's ability to carry out the task at hand. But he has scared the crap out of a lot of people who, uh, in, who in many cases, their only crime is, is you know, being here without authorization. And so uh, it is it, actually very clear that hurting those people emotionally or scaring them or frightening them is of more importance to the president than actually carrying out the task that he has set for himself, which is getting them all out of the country. You know, there's this uh, sort of controversy erupted today. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez referred to them as concentration camps. There was a bunch of Republicans saying they were outraged by the term. Um, you, you're book is a history of concentration camps. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, qualified to weigh in on this. What do you say? Uh, I would say that for 40 years before Auschwitz, we had concentration camps, things that were called concentration camps. What we're doing now fits very cleanly inside that tradition. At the same time, the death camps, which were on top of the existing concentration camp system, including Auschwitz and uh, a series of other camps in which the, we had gas chambers, mass killings, um, that is a singular moment in history. And for the people that want to respect that, I think that's fine and that's important. If we want to call it irregular detention, if we want to call it extrajudicial detention, I don't think we have to get stuck on that term. I wrote a history of the term. I had to use that term. And what I would really like people to know is the same thing is happening here now. What is the motivating logic? And Adam, I'll come back to you about the sort of political underbelly of this. I mean, the motivating logic here, talk about those, those examples for before the Nazis, right? I mean, detention of some subgroup in some camp setting where things start to go awry. Like, what is the motivating political logic that we've seen there? Um, it's a scapegoat group is often uh, the genesis of that. It explains a problem in the country or in the region, and you push it onto a group of vulnerable people that you can label as somehow infecting society, a national security threat to a society. Maybe it's in wartime, maybe it's not. We've sort of um, done uh, injecting a war setting 
to the border. This is not a national security crisis. Right. This is a humanitarian crisis, but we're using the language of war to detain civilians. So this is really mixing things up in a very dangerous way. We should also say, Adam, you know, today the president uh, came to Orlando. The, yesterday he threatened to round up millions of people, and today some of his supporters are marching through the streets. I want to show this video. Well, she, she probably was referring to the definition, uh, which is a place where large numbers of people, political prisoners or members of persecuted minorities are imprisoned in a relatively small area with inadequate facilities. That's what it means. No one, look, at, I get upset about what they're doing to these children. Mm -hmm. And you, no one's listening. And it's like, why, this is a way of getting people to listen to it and pay attention to yeah. it. And so that's what I think she did. But why can't you compare it, his... T his practices to what led up to the Holocaust. Do we have to wait for the well, actual Holocaust before we speak well, out? Well, I don't, I don't think you... Well, I, George Chakai was in an internment camp. He said, even when they were held mm -hmm. prisoner in these internment camps, he was never taken away from his parents. Yeah. So, this is almost worse I'm not than it saying was. That when, you hear what I said? We're really comparing... Uh, I the, heard the, tra the yeah. trajectory towards. We're not but, comparing yeah. it to God, that. I mean, but we are not exterminating people. Not yet. No, we are. I mean, I mean, come yeah. on, I, come on, yeah. come on with that. I mean, Megan and a I lot of kids agree. died at that board. Let me just tell you, there are a whole lot of people making a whole lot of money by having these people in detention centers. We want to shift the attention, as, as we should, off of mass incarceration of black and brown people in this country. But now those monies are being transferred into detaining migrants at the border. It is a crisis, Steve. It is not OK just because they don't have their papers. I hope I, listen, that at I, some I, point I you wrestle with your conscience and get to the right side of this, because, I, sir, you are I on the wrong side concur. of history. In 1933, there were concentrations. Camps. In 1941, they were death camps. And that is where we are going if our, our consciences are not quickly pierced. So you got Omar, which you expect going to say, yeah, but she likes concentration camps because she's a fucking anti-Semite. Listen to all those journalists, I put air quote, and pundits talking. Oh, yeah, we're doing the same thing. Now, I'm going to... Just suppose as I go through all this shit of people trying to support AOC and say what she's saying. This is a resistance leader, John Arvios. We've talked about him on here. He says horrible shit. They're not concentration camps, and I'm sorry. I'm tired of being forced to defend the same three freshman members of Congress because they repeatedly say dumb things and never seem to learn from their experience. She just handed the GOP a gold mine for its PR strategy. Congrats. And the number one strategist for the DNC, Chuck Todd, yeah, he even said it's wrong. You can call our government's detention of migrants many things, depending on how you see it. It's a stain on our nation, maybe, a necessary evil to others, a deal with untenable situation, perhaps. But do you know what you can't call it? Take a listen. The United States is running concentration camps on our southern border, and that is exactly what they are. They are concentration camps. I was obviously New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Instagram. After being criticized, Ocasio-Cortez tried to make a distinction between concentration camps and Nazi death camps, where the industrialized mass slaughter of the Holocaust occurred. Fair enough, but Congresswoman, tens of thousands were also brutalized, tortured, starved, and ultimately died in concentration camps, camps like Dachau. If you want to criticize the shameful treatment of people at our southern border, fine. You'll have plenty of company, but be careful comparing them to Nazi concentration camps, because they're not at all comparable, in the slightest. But here's where it's uh, upsetting as her comment. Some Democrats have been reluctant to condemn her remarks. 
They don't want to get criticized on Twitter. Fellow New York Congressman Jerry Nadler tweeted in response, One of the lessons from the Holocaust is never again. We fail to learn that lesson when we don't call out such inhumanity right in front of us. Jerry Nadler surely knows migrant detainment camps are not the same as concentration camps. So why didn't he just say that? Why are we so sheepish calling out people we agree with politically these days? Obviously, this isn't a Democratic Party thing. It's an even bigger problem on the Republican side of the aisle when it comes to President Trump and the reluctance there. Are we really so ensconced in our political bubbles, liberal versus conservative, that we cannot talk about right versus wrong anymore? Some things are bigger than partisanship, or at least they used to be. And in the interim, the crux of what's truly at stake is lost. What is this country going to do about what's happening at the border in this humanitarian crisis? We'll get to that at some point, I guess, after we have this debate. I have no doubt Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez cares deeply about what's happening at the border. But she just did the people there a tremendous disservice by distracting from their plight. She said she didn't use those words lightly. Well, neither did I. But once again, this is what they do. They're so anti-Semite, they say, oh, that's not anti-Semite. And in the scheme of things that Omar said, sure, it's not. But could anybody, could any Republican conservative talk about the Holocaust or use it as a reference or just be stupid like that and get away with it? No. I'm curious, House GOP, this is Ocasio-Cortez tweeting. What would you like people to call these Trump-run human cages? According to you, concentration camps, experts, and historians are wrong. So what do you call it? What term makes you feel better about brutality, internment, detention, freedom center? People tweeted, what's the difference? Nazi concentration extermination camps, gas chambers, crematoria, firing squads, forced labor, starvation, beatings, goes on for like 30 different things. American migrant centers, no gas chambers, no crematorium, no firing squads, forced labor, health care, free food, housing. Yeah. There's a huge difference. Ryan Savandra. Casey Cortez falsely claims Trump is operating concentration camps compared to situation in the Holocaust. And does it verbatim. Liz Cheney, please AOC, do us all a favor and spend just a few minutes learning about actual history. Six million Jews were exterminated in the Holocaust. You demean their memory and disgrace yourself with comments like this. And then who comes rumming out? Chris Cuomo. Exterminated? Use that for past not people, because it's Liz Cheney. James Grant, use it for pests because we want them. How do I say completely eliminated, eradicated, killed, gone forever? Which is exactly what Hitler and the Nazis wanted to do, the Jewish race. Question, did Hitler at all consider Jews as a pest? Never forget. Cuomo, fair point. You're right to demand sensitivity to the reference. Agreed. What I don't get is all this attention to how the reality is referred to, but no urgency to help the reality. Where is the outrage over the inaction to not help the kids? Somebody said, great backpelling chant. <laughs> AOC. Also, Liz Cheney, the fact that you employed the horrific word exterminated here, co-opting the language of the oppressor, tells us that it's you that needs to brush up on your reading. Hope you enjoy defending concentration camps. I will back down fighting against them. BT. The dumb Cuomo brother actually thought this was a good point, and then he takes him to task. Chris Cuomo. These are all tweets he's done. Ask a family of Holocaust survivors how they feel about you throwing around comparison to Hitler. That was towards a conservative. If you don't get what making Hitler reference is offensive and stupid, you should ask someone who knows. Towards a conservative. Throwing Hitler and Holocaust around only furthers divide. Towards a conservative. 
You are young and apparently not Jewish or German, so let, let me help help you. Don't make casual Hitler's references. Uh, want some more? You are young. And, okay, that's the same one. I personally would never compare anything to the Holocaust, Nazis, or Hitler just to make a basic political criticism. Not respectful. Throwing Hitler in the Holocaust round only furthers divide. Do you want to move closer? That was a variation on the first one. You should ask some Holocaust survivors how they feel about you making Hitler jokes. There's like 30. It keeps going, man. It just doesn't stop. STU, stop comparing anyone and anything to Hitler. Have respect for the millions murdered. But when AOC does it, oh, no, 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 no. We need to defend her. Then Chris Hayes. You spend a few minutes learning some actual history, you'll find out that concentration camps are different than death camps and have a history that both predates and extends past the Nazis. That was to Liz Cheney, because they're all defending AOC. Educated Hillbilly did the best one of everybody else. Children in cages. This is a picture. Obama DHS Secretary Jay Johnson. They're walking right past it. This was 2013. We didn't call them concentration camps. He said, hey, Chris, Washington Post would get it on the action in their trademark style, of course. Because they didn't. But for this one, AOC presses case that U.S. is running concentration camps at border amid Republican outcry. Republicans pouncing. Not that she said something horrible. Republicans pouncing. Twitter made it a moment. Pushed it all day. Here's the trend lines for the day. Chris Paul, Brett Favre, Ed Sheeran, State Farm. Six-word horror story. Marta, Harrison Barnes, Camellia, Max Landis. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The tenth thing, Holocaust. The semantics of concentration camps in relation to migrant holding centers in the U.S., semantics so it's semantics when a lefty says it it's outright horrible when a conservative compares somebody to Hitler you couldn't even make this shit up if you wanted to I mean it's just it's just a joke Julia Eoff the one who didn't like don't wish me Merry Christmas motherfucker Hi, actual Jew, Jew here who lost dozens of relatives in the Holocaust. Concentration camps predate the Holocaust. For example, the Soviets had them for the Nazis. Also, I'd kindly ask Liz Cheney and Meghan McCain and other self-appointed defenders of Jewish people who actually have no skin in the game to stop using us as a political football, or at the very least, call out your own party members. Well, here's the problem. There is no party members. Nobody's calling anything. Nobody called Obama's concentration camps. I never said that. Called it detention centers. They're illegal immigrants. In a lot of countries, that is like a concentration camp. Because you're not supposed to be there. They don't treat you good. They don't give you health care. They don't release you. 185,000 of you a month just in the middle of the country and just let you go. Because of political pressure. But nobody does that. So a lot of Jewish JCRC of New York, we urge AOC to refrain from using terminology evocative of the Holocaust. Huge letter signed by a billion people. 
AG, New York nonpartisan Jewish group, comes out with a respectful statement about AOC not to diminish the Holocaust, basically shuts your fucking trial, and AOC's Twitter fucking party just, or army just attacked them. Um, AG again, yeah, but AOC found four random Jews on Twitter and Ben the Ark to defend her insanely ignorant comments. Jewish Journal, Associate Dean and Director of Global Social Social Action Agenda of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, Rabbi Abraham Cooper called Rep- Representative AOC comparing immigration detention centers on the border to concentration camps as an insult to the victims of Shola. And he goes on and on and asks her to shut her fucking mouth. Scott Gaspari, when are sane people going to realize that anti-Semitism and diminishing the Holocaust has a warm home in the DNC? They do. Any zipperer breaks some facts out that our media is not going to do. 2014, the Obama administration used Fort Sill to deal with the influx of unaccompanied children crossing the border. It was literally the exact same thing that is happening now. They have to house the children until they find sponsors. But in 2014, the media framed the situation as Obama can't get the Republicans in Congress to do their job. Zero outlets reporting that Fort Sill was once used as a Japanese internment camp because that is irrelevant context. The fact is, only being jammed into headlines now is in order to make the Fort Sill barracks sound scary and to make it sound like evil Trump. That's the product that the MSL sells all day. Orange Man Bat, The Hill, 2014. Fort Sill was one of the three facilities set up last month to house the huge influx of unaccompanied minors crossing over the Texas-Mexico border. The Hill, 2019. Just in, Trump administration to send migrant children to former Japanese internment camp. Oh, really? WAPO 2014. GOP lawmakers have questioned the administration's decision to house thousands of unaccompanied children on a military base. WAPO 2019. Geronimo and the Japanese were imprisoned there. Now Fort Sill holds migrant children. Time 2014. Obama urges Congress to approve $4 billion funds for immigration crisis that we can't even do now. And there's more people coming in because it's not a crisis. Time 2019, pictures of internment camps in the background. Trump administration to hold migrant children at base that served as World War II Japanese internment camp. I mean, it's not even a joke. This is what they do. And then usual normal American who doesn't do any research goes, Trump's bad. Obama good. That, but if you just Google, this is just what happens when you don't have an immigration fucking policy. When these do-gooder liberals want everybody to come in so they can get more people on the voter rolls, what do we do with them? When the good-doer do, good Democrats limit the number of beds at the detention centers, you got to take them somewhere. But AOC persisted. And for the shrinking Republicans who don't know the difference between concentration camps are not the same as death camps, concentration camps are considered by experts as the mass detention of civilians without trial. And that's exactly what the administration is doing. DHS ripped thousands of children for the parents and put them in cages with inhumane conditions. They call their cells dog pounds and freezers. I will never apologize for calling these camps what they are. Mm-hmm. A prog on Twitter. Just a random person responding to her. 
because of her rhetoric, Omar's rhetoric, the mainstream media rhetoric, our political opponents are Nazis. The only good solution is to remove them from the political re- arena. Could you say that? Anybody? To a damn? Just random person? You'd be doxxed. Random woman said something, flew on a plane, lost everything. Unfucking believable. But she's even lost college kids. So we're going to go out to a great piece by Andy NGO about trans murder hoaxes. But here is uh, College Fix doing interviews with kids, and they even say AOC takes it too far. I'm Kappa Phillips with Campus Reform. This week, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez referred to detention centers at the southern border as concentration camps. What will college students think of that? Is it too far? Let's find out. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, famous congresswoman, she referred to the camps at the southern border where we're detaining people here illegally as concentration camps. going to have you read the tweet and see if you agree or disagree with her. I think she owes a major apology to the American people for comparing these detainment camps to one of the most horrific events ever in history. Can't be throwing the word concentration camps around all willy-nilly. I think using extremities gets people's attention, but I also think that um, concentration camp might might make people who would normally support her uh, be a little bit annoyed. Do you think that that phrase concentration camp should be used here? Um, I'm, I think that's a bit extreme, but... I mean, that's her personal opinion, but I do think it's a bit extreme. The calm concentration camps where, you know, no one's being, like, killed in mass or, you know, killed indiscriminately is a uh, reach. Using the term concentration camps since it's so heavily associated with, like, the Holocaust and genocide can obviously be inflammatory. So I think that I see what she's trying to do, kind of rallies the, her base, but I think that it's not very good for public discourse. Uh, I think... That this was a, an embarrassment to the Democratic Party, to be completely honest. Concentration camp uh, elicits the idea of extermination, which I don't think is happening. So I think in that sense, it's a little extreme. It feels like they're just really being detained, I mean, if that's the case. Because concentration camp would be much more different. You know, we put it in the view of, like, Nazi Germany and all that. Um, I feel like this is more detained, if anything. I don't know. I didn't know the definition of a concentration camp. I didn't know how to do with, like, religion. But um, I know that... What is going on is definitely unjust. Maybe not. Con- maybe concentration camp wasn't the best comparison. Do you think it's offensive to use the term concentration camp? Maybe if it's used in the wrong context, but I believe it's a fair way to use it, and it's like understandable that someone would say something like this. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Thanks so much for watching. If you want to donate to help us make more videos just like that, you can click right here. And if you want to be the first person to see all of our new content, click the subscribe button right here. Please, click one of them. doesn't have to be both. One or the other. Okay. Thanks. Fucking shit cracks me up. I know this is kind of jumpy. It's not our usual podcast. Remember, for the next period till my wife's on her feet, we're going to have these hodgepodge ones. We're just going to pick certain subjects, kind of run with them, do a little bit, do a news, uh, news social media nuggets, and, and that's our podcast. A little reduced, but uh, still trying to get something out. So we kind of jump subjects, hit it, move on. This one wasn't an original. 
but I had to do it because Andy Angio brings us to our trans hoaxes. The number of hate crime hoaxes that we have seen in the past couple of years alone have been absolutely alarming. Of course, if these hoaxes are indeed called out for being hoaxes, the entire narrative about how racist, bigoted, homophobic, etc. this country is under Trump completely falls apart and our good, delicate friends in the social justice movement can't have that. Now can they? Andy NGO wrote a detailed thread about several hate crime hoaxes about trans people perpetuated by the left. First one. Can't stand exposure of hate crime hoaxes because it makes it harder to politically exploit violence against LGBT people. The 26 killed trans people in 2018 were not all killed for being trans. This is important. I will go through each one by one. The sick. I cannot be undersold how much of a piece of shit this man is. He lists 24 alleged hate crime hoaxes spread across five years, but makes no mention of the fact that in 2018 alone, more trans people were actually murdered than all those hoaxes combined. This is the sick saying it to him. For Pride Month, I assembled in one place some of the most prominent, confirmed, and alleged hate crimes involving LGBT-identified people in recent years. A new source is provided for every antidote. Hate hoax. Christina Lay Steele Knudsen, who produced various transsexual pageants in the New England area, was allegedly killed by her husband. There was no evidence this was a bias-motivated murder, and it links it to Mass Live. Not a hate crime. Vicky Gutierrez was killed in her L.A. area January 2018 after meeting up with a man she met online. Police charged Kevin Ramirez in the killing. They say it was attempted robbery that turned into murder. No evidence she was for being trans. Not a hate crime. Celine Walker was found shot and killed in February 2018 inside a hotel in Jacksonville. Her killer has been, hasn't been found. Call Crime Stoppers 866-845-TIPS if you have any information. Jacksonville Sheriff said Walker was involved in illicit prostitution work. Tanya Harvey was shot and killed February 28th in Buffalo, New York by an unknown assailant. Harvey struggled with drug abuses and was involved in prostitution. Prosecutors say there isn't evidence to show she was killed for being trans. Not a hate crime. Zachariah Fry, along with her roommate, an elderly man, were found dead in New Mexico in February 2019. A man believed to be their third roommate, Charles Spies, was arrested and charged. There is no evidence the killing was motivated by transphobia. Every one of these are linked to the real court cases. Not a hate crime. Felicia Mitchell was shot and killed February 28th in Cleveland. Her home was known to police for drug activities. Gary Sanders was charged for a murder. They had an argument over money and drugs. No transphobia. Amia Taree Berryman, a trans prostitute, was shot and killed in a hotel room in March 2018. Diedrich Butler was arrested over the killing. It was about drugs. Not transphobia. Sasha Wall was killed April 2018 in South Carolina by someone authorities believe she knew. She was shot close range in her car. The shell casing was found inside. Case remains unsolved. And authorities say there isn't evidence anything to do with transphobia. Carla Patricia Flores de Pavon died from injuries May 2018 in Dallas. 
Jimmy Eugene Johnson III, who was found with the property, was arrested for killing her. Detectives say it was a robbery gone bad. Nino Fortson, who is believed to be a transgender man, but also used she-her pronoun, was shot and killed in May 2018 in Atlanta. A witness said Fortson was in an argument with two men and two women and fired his gun before being killed later. Gigi Pierce was shot and killed by her friend, a woman of color, in May 2018 in Portland, Oregon. Trial heard how it was a self-defense after Pierce tried to stab her with a knife. The murder charge was dismissed. Not a hate crime. Rosanna H. Rodriguez died May 2018 in the hospital after being part of a migrant care fan that crossed in the U.S. She was hospitalized under ICE custody with signs of pneumonia, dehydration, and HIV complication. No evidence of transphobic violence against her. Terrible stories, all of them, but proof that this country is, is transphobic, not proof that this country is transphobic because orange man bad. That was 10. His list goes for 20, folks. Yes. Are there people that kill transgender people? Sure. But this whole thing was started by Andrew Shepard, which we've talked at nauseum on this show and read the article, a meth drug sale gone bad, but became the poster boy for we're just killing gay people. Gay people get murdered just like straight people do and usually has nothing to do with our sexuality. It has to do with assholes, drugs, money, greed, robbery, and all the other hateful reasons somebody kills somebody. But everybody on Twitter says Andy NGO is a piece of shit. Well, I would say you're a piece of shit if you're running with stuff that isn't true to try to make a, something that it isn't. It's just not true. Which brings us to our derangement statement, our segment. This soundbite, Sarah O'Sullivan, 26-year-old rookie with Sacramento Police Department, was shot and killed in the line of duty on Thursday during a domestic violence call. The guy was an illegal alien. And these are protesters mocking her death. Folks, I need you either to move back on the other side of the alleyway or back all the way over there, okay? Yeah, I need to. When when this uh, thing is reestablished, we'll move. We're going to watch stuff. Okay, reestablish it, and then we'll watch from here. Because we're going to watch. We are going to watch. So reestablish. Get your line, and we're going to cross it. Get your shit in order. Get it together. Get your line. It's not safety. Y'all are y'all are looking for one person. We need to be safe from is you. Y'all are looking for one person. Bullets catch people, man. Okay, so fire staging at Redwood and Traction. We all we got, sis. Hey, did you have fire stage? Did you update the fire staging right here? Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, I got it. Y'all not finished shaving no narrative today. Getting shot need to be. Y'all all need to be. Y'all all need to be. You, you're welcome, you little puck. You're welcome, you little bastard. You're welcome, bastard. You little coward. Take that gun off. I'll whoop your little butt. Go, go, come on back. Take it off. What it's, you mean back? It's, coward. It's all good. You little coward. All y'all cowards. We know they y'all are. Y'all cowards. We know they are. All of you cowards. We know they we are. We got guns too. 
cowards. A white lady. And they're holed up in their house and they have a lot of ammo. Damn. Oh my god. Shit. Damn, they're just this shooting back like crazy. They over here scrambling. From the National Fraternal Order of Police Officers, while their family and brother and sisters officers were just learning of Officer Sarah, Tara O'Sullivan, sorry, I said Sarah, tragic death, police haters in Sacramento made numerous comments celebrating O'Sullivan's murder and disparaging police. FOP Vice President Sack P reporting the subject suspect in Officer O'Sullivan's murder is Adele Sambranos Ramos, Court records match Ramos' name to serial criminal cases dating back to 1995, including multiple domestic violence and battery cases, divorce theft, and driving under the influence. Adele Sabras Ramos was charged with killing Sacramento police officer Tara O'Sullivan, O'Sullivan allegedly threatened to kill his family with a bomb. Yeah. So that's a good way to start our derangement. Then we got Megan McCain finally doing... What we all want to do. She's not deranged. But that bitch is. Don't belittle the crowds. Don't belittle the enthusiasm. What Democrats did? still have a lot to come. Because it's a lot of people still enthusiastic. And I was trying to explain, because one of my producers this morning was saying, why do people love him so much? And I was like, sometimes it's not just that they love Trump so much. It's that they hate the same things Trump hates. That's what's going Who, on. Black as people, well. you mean? And no, I mean... Who do they hate? Who do they you hate? Know what? You know what, Joy? I really who come they here hate? every day open-minded right. just trying to explain it. Okay. And it's not a fun job for but me every day. who do they hate? I know you're angry. I you get it that I'm you're angry. angry that Trump's president, like a lot of people are. I'm angry are, about every single but thing I don't he's doing. think yelling at me is going to fix the problem. Okay? I just said that it was hard for me to watch. Yes. I just said it was hard for me to watch Lindsey but, Graham, but who I considered an uncle for a long time. Yeah, but then okay? you're talking about the Trump but supporters. I'm trying to explain okay, so why 2020 is not in the bag here's, for you. But an it's not. The, here's the, the, okay, guys. Okay. 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 It's a, it's a great discussion, and we can go back to it. I just need everybody to take a beat. <laughs> it's but being just, a sacrificial it's a, Republican every day, well, I'm just trying listen, to... Here's the I, thing. Oh, don't feel bad for oh, me. I hate to do here's, this. Okay? Oh, here's the, don't feel bad right, for me. Before he let's, headed to Florida. Hold on. Other bitches. Here, let oh, me... Joy and I call each other bitch all the time. We'll be right back. Let's, let's, <laughs> whoopee, whoopee, whatever the fuck intervened to try to calm things down, but when McCain noted that she has to be the sacrificial Republican every day on the show, Bayar said mockly, Aw, oh, don't feel bad for me, bitch. I'm paid to do this, okay? Don't feel bad for me. Fortunately for the show, a commercial break gave them a forced time out. When they returned, McCain and Bayar stressed to the audience that they get along backstage and call each other bitch all the time. Bayar is just an evil, evil fucking bitch. So... That's why I put it in the derangement instead of lighter fare. 
It's there. Then we have the Epoch Times. Since we're on this big kick, Christians are fucking horrible. Last week, Epoch Times was contacted by two NBC reporters who posed a series of highly inappropriate questions about the religious beliefs of our staff. Here's our open letter. The NBC reporters who questioned the religious beliefs of some of our Epoch Times staff members sought to discredit their beliefs, attacked our journalism based on personal opinion rather than objective analysis, and even sought out information on the personal lives of our staff. Unfortunately, the bane of journalism today is that all-too-common practice of writing news to conform to a pre-existing narrative or agenda. The best journalism of the past had the truth as its standard, not political advantage. NBC questions seek to dig out what they assumed is our agenda by asking about our coverage of Trump and our na- relationship with the spiritual practice of Falun Gong. It certainly does appear that NBC News has an agenda with respect to covering the Trump presidency. A study by the Harvard Kennedy School Shore Stein Center on media politics and public policy found NBC coverage of Trump's first 100 days were 93% negative. The plain truth is that because our coverage of Trump differs from NBC, two reporters have sought to hunt for an agenda that would discredit us. For weeks, ex-staff members have been contacting us to let us know that NBC was asking about their work at the Epoch Times. Would NBC News ask about the role, the faith, and the work of the New York Times reporter who blamed, who happened to be Jewish? Excuse me. These questions are meant to root out the agenda NBC is looking for. It tramples on our society, long-held conviction that matter of conscience are rightly private. NBC's characterization of Falun Gong puts its belief in a false light and similar Chinese Communist Party's propaganda attacking the spiritual practice. In its quest to eradicate Falun Gong, the CCP used aggressive rhetoric to demonize and dehumanize practitioners. As NBC News itself recently reported, an independent tribal tribunal found that Falun Gong practitioners have been systematically murdered by Chinese state for their organs. Our free press is a special privilege in our society. In order to defend those privileges, the press must show it acting in a responsible manner. In response to NBC questions, we issued the statement below. Last week, we were contacted by two NBC reporters who posed a series of highly inappropriate questions. The NBC reporters questioned religious beliefs from some of our staff. It's pretty much the same shit. Blah, 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 blah. Doesn't surprise me, though. It's what the left does. If you follow Marco, Marco Rubio, <clears throat> which I still do, I wanted him to be president, but he was a horrible candidate, and I pulled off and then didn't root for anybody and then just voted against Hillary. He does a Bible verse a lot because he's a religious person. So this week, relax on the mighty Lord, constantly seek his face, recall the wondrous deeds he has done, his signs and his words of judgment. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, 2, 12, excuse me. So the left who hates Christians, Alyssa Milano. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor, and do not devise evil in our hearts against one another. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. Practice the Bible you preach. Somebody responded, Thus saith the Hollywood Bible, Take in the windows, widows, or orphans, aliens, or poor, but just not in my neighborhood, and keep them the hell away from the mansion I bought with all the money I made playing pretend. Oh, and murder thy baby, and call it health care. <laughs> I had to throw it together. This thing with the left, they're just not understanding. That's why I say to my daughter, specifically, Whenever we talked about religion, which we don't anymore because it just ends up in an argument. 
There are more Christians than anything else in this country. The moment you start doing it, you lose you lose stock, folks. People don't take kindly to it. Most of the Christians are Christians. They run around shoving it in people's faces. They don't talk about it. But when you as politically attack them for the religion, oh, it's on like fucking Donkey Kong. Then we get into the derangement more of NBC. We're back to NBC. We have to throw that Melissa Milano in there. Just in, FBI alleges that a 20-year-old Syrian man who says was admitted to U.S. as a refugee in August 2016 was planning bombing attack on a church in Pittsburgh had recorded a video of himself pledging allegiance to ISIS leader. He was arrested today. CNN. Mustafa Musab Alan, who was admitted into the country as a refugee in 2016, bought bomb-making materials and cased escape routes for the church, according to a criminal complaint. I put those side by side to just go, are you fucking shitting me? We're back on the alleges. Pompeo alleges Iran do it, did it. We allege these poor Muslims are bad Muslims. Wow. And in comes Mexican officials confirm U.S. warned about ISIS suspects head to the border. Mexican authorities are on high alert regarding three ISIS-linked terror suspects who are believed to be making their way from Central America to Mexico and to the U.S. Did you think it's not going to happen? Do you think it's not going to happen, Libs? Your zeal for voters is opening us to attack. It's why most people want the border wall. It's not to keep those little brown people out. It's to keep the little brown people running around with fucking suicide bombs. That's what it's about. Then to bash NBC one more time with their fucking derangement. Civilization could crumble by 2050 if we don't stop climate change now. New policy paper from Australia Think Tank says. Think Tank? Bunch of fucking liberals in a room. Well, 12 years didn't work. Let's stretch that shit out. That's all I fucking was. Seriously. Then we got our guns. Senator Dianne Feinstein. Guns like the AR-15 are used for hunting, and they're not viable for home protection. They have only one purpose. Fire as many rounds as possible, as quickly as possible. 60% of Americans support outlawing these weapons. Read my op-ed. Gabriel Hoffman, a liberal think tanker. As a former constituent of yours, I believe you're being dishonest here, much like your previous statements. ARs are semi-automatic in nature, one bullet pull of trigger. Plenty use AR-15s for hunting, especially hunters who are wheelchair-bound. Come to hunting camp and learn about guns. Then this soundbite. Take away my semi-automatic firearms. The bans them. But there's a clause. Not, not to take. Now let's to, to there's clarify. There's a clause in the bill. I'm not you're taking your gun away from you. You just can't buy any new ones. Well, you're, you want to okay, turn it over to the state police. You can't unless, buy any new ones. Unless I give you a fine. Unless I pay a fine for each firearm and register them, then I get to keep it. Okay. So if I get to keep it. If I pay a fine and register, then how dangerous was? How dangerous is it in the first place? Why do you need to ban it all? Why do you need to try to ban my seminar? Well, you've just maybe changed my mind. Maybe we won't have a fine uh, at all. Maybe we'll just 
be a conversation and we won't have to worry about you amplifying. To the article, Illinois State Senator tells gun owner, maybe the state will just confiscate your guns. And you heard it on the soundbite. Yeah. They're pushing, folks. They want to push as far as they can because they think it's going to get people to vote in 2020. But what they don't realize is the majority of Democrats aren't zealot dumbasses and they're not into all that shit. You're talking to your base. They are going to vote against Trump. It doesn't matter. Majority of progressives are going to vote against Trump. It doesn't fucking matter. The more dumb shit you do like this, the more you fuck yourself. Because literally, the middle's not going to listen to you. We then jump to PPFA. Got a lot of that today. Or every podcast. What am I saying? Every podcast. Jimmy Kimmel decided to do a PSA dogging pro-life people. I'd like to just oppose that with a soundbite of a man begging his wife not to abort his son at PPFA. Oh, this is an issue that is going to be a major part of this uh, election in 2020. Several southern states are doing what they can to overturn Roe versus Wade. Conservatives in Mississippi, Georgia, and Alabama have enacted new anti-abortion laws with the hope they can get the Supreme Court to reverse its decision on the landmark case. Alabama has enacted a near-total abortion ban, which is very scary. No woman should ever be forced to raise a child in Alabama. It just shouldn't happen. And this is an issue that that has divided this country for almost 50 years. Pro-lifers insist they're not anti-choice. You say women are still free to pick the name of the baby with the husband's permission, of course. But these strict anti-choice laws put women's reproductive rights at risk. And thanks to these laws, not only is the right to get an abortion being threatened, even birth control is becoming more difficult to get. For today's woman, having choices matters more than ever. When you need emergency contraception, The number one OBGYN recommended method is Plan B. 
Plan B is a safe way to give you the reproductive choices you need when you need it most. Actually, Plan B might not be available in your state. Wait, what? Fortunately, there's Plan C. C stands for car, as in get in one and drive 230 miles or so to a neighboring state. And Alabama has essentially outlawed emergency contraception. Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, even Ohio, they're all trying to restrict women's reproductive health rights. Now that you're actually pregnant, it's time to consider other options. Plan D. D is for doctor. Just find someone who claims to be one on Craigslist. Meet them behind a Popeye's fried chicken. And voila, who says women don't have the right to choose? Hey, darling. Get in the car. Okay, okay. How about this? Plan E. Get emotional. Go ahead and cry. Just cry that sucker right out of you. Hey, not at work. Okay, try this one on for size. Plan F, as in, because that's what you are. Would it kill you to smile? Available at Walgreens. Now, this is a setup because this week, Rhode Island passes abortion until birth bill. Senator, we will all be accountable to God. We are not putting our citizens in the hands of a changing Supreme Court. That's why they did it. This is, once again, health of the mother up to birth. And did you hear any outrage? Like Alabama, West Virginia, Georgia. Are there any boycotts? No. But you did hear another montage. And you're about to hear another montage. Excuse me. Here's all PPFA support. Handmaid's dystopian reality is now. Matto using dystopian. And Madonna. Jesus. Would be pro-choice. Are you fucking serious? CBS News has learned Missouri's only clinic that provides abortions, Planned Parenthood of St. Louis, may no longer be able to perform abortions by the end of the week. The clinic says they will defy state law, which says they must perform two pelvic exams before an abortion procedure. Missouri has some of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country, requiring a consent process, a 72-hour waiting period, and two pelvic exams before a woman undergoes an abortion procedure. Dr. David Eisenberg is the medical director of the clinic. You're the only abortion clinic available in the state of Missouri. By choosing to do this, are you choosing your ethics over women's health care? We are choosing to provide the best quality patient-centered care that we've always provided at Planned Parenthood. And that includes doing things that are driven by science, by evidence, and by what's medically Appropriate. The clinic has been one of the focal points in the abortion debate with weeks of protests. The state says Planned Parenthood has violated laws and regulations. A recent inspection found the clinic broke the law, performing an abortion at 21 weeks, 
Missouri law bans the procedure at 20 weeks. The only remaining abortion clinic in Missouri says it won't comply with a reinterpreted state regulation to give women a pelvic exam at least 72 hours before an abortion. Doctors call the exams medically unnecessary. Critics say it's an attempt to discourage women from going through with abortions. CBS News broke this story and Meg Oliver is outside Planned Parenthood in St. Louis. Meg, could this result in the clinic being shut down by tomorrow? Anthony, that remains to be seen. We obtained a copy of the state's inspection report that's more than 60 pages long. Planned Parenthood will file their response today. The medical director here told me that requiring a woman to undergo an additional procedure that he believes to be unethical was the last straw. How hard was it for you to make this decision to have an abortion? This is most definitely one of the hardest decisions to make. This woman, who doesn't want to be identified for her own safety, says she can't support a child, and her misery has only been extended by the additional pelvic exam she had to get days before her abortion. I feel that the pelvic exam is just another way for them to deter you of a decision that you already know you want to make. The Planned Parenthood Clinic is at the center of a national abortion debate. Missouri has some of the strictest state regulations on abortions. And a recent inspection reportedly cited the clinic for 30 deficiencies. David Eisenberg is the medical director. It is exhausting. He says in May, the state reinterpreted an existing regulation requiring his staff to perform an additional pelvic exam. I have new evidence to say that 100% of the patients who I've taken care of who've undergone this inappropriate, medically unnecessary, and unethical pelvic exam have been harmed by that. The clinic plans to file a letter in court today stating that unless medically indicated, they will no longer require patients to undergo a pelvic exam at least 72 hours before an abortion. I'm no longer willing to practice medicine that way. Even if it means your clinic gets shut down? I really hope that we get to continue to provide that high-quality, patient-centered care for years to come. The decision is now rests with a judge. The Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services didn't respond to our request for comment. Its director previously defended pelvic exam requirements for abortions as very much a part of standard care, saying the department is trying to ensure the safety of women. But the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists says routine multiple pelvic exams for women seeking abortion care are unwarranted, invasive, and not supported by evidence. They're going to have an exam done when it's medically appropriate, but not at any other time, because to do so, in my opinion, is just... Now is Dr. David Eisenberg. He's the medical director at the St. Louis Planned Parenthood Clinic that is the last abortion provider standing uh, in Missouri. Dr. Eisenberg, thank you so much for being here. I know this is a, a stressful and busy time for you. It is, and I really appreciate the opportunity and for you to tell our story so well uh, in you know, the national media and explain oh. what's been happening here for women in Missouri. Well, thank you for saying that. I wanted to start off by giving you the opportunity to correct me um, if I have been getting any of this wrong. Honestly, some of this really feels like dystopian fiction, so I would be delighted if I'd had some, any of this wrong. But basically, the way we've been telling this story is accurate as you understand it? It is perfectly accurate. As the physician who's been the one taking care of women in the state of Missouri for the last three weeks at our Planned Parenthood Health Center, forced to do things that seem 
unthinkable, as you said, dystopian. Um, it has been uh, a difficult reality for me and my patients. And, you know, we do everything we can to provide the highest quality patient-centered care that Planned Parenthood has been known for for over 100 years. We take that really seriously. And the idea that we've been having to put women through something that's totally unnecessary, uncomfortable, inhumane, just because the state has reinterpreted the rules, just doesn't seem fair. Abortion care is health care, and we don't ask to be treated differently. We ask to be treated the same as every other health care provider. And the patients who come to us for care don't want to be kicked around like a political football by Governor Parson or the Department of Health here in Missouri. When the state decided to newly interpret regulations and state laws to require you to do this new exam that you didn't have to do before, the one that you've just described in those vivid terms, did they warn you they were making this change in interpretation? Did they tell you why they were doing it? Did they give you any indication as to what they think this is for? You know, I honestly don't have a good explanation for why. There's no medical or legal justification. The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, which I'm a member of, the American College of Physicians, all support the idea that having a pelvic exam is an invasive and uncomfortable experience for patients, but it's justified when there's a medical need for it. Mm. If a patient's having a pap test to screen for cervical cancer, STD testing, for instance, or just before a surgical abortion procedure so I can understand her pelvic anatomy before I perform her abortion. Abortion care is health care. A patient who's about to have a colonoscopy has a rectal exam done by their physician just before the colonoscopy, but not three days in advance. Dr. Eisenberg, I know that you and your colleagues have made a remarkable decision uh, as of today that you are going to stop going along with what the state, governor, state government of Missouri has been making you do for the past three weeks. If you could stay with us uh, for another few minutes, I'd love to talk to you in detail about how you arrived at that decision and what you think will happen as a consequence. Can you stay with us? Oh. I can. Great. Dr. David Eisenberg. The Handmaid's Tale is set in a dystopian American future where a right-wing fundamentalist religious group, Gilead, has overthrown most of the government and stripped women of almost all of their rights. Actor Bradley Whitford, who starred on the politically resonant West Wing for seven years, recently joined the cast of Handmaids. He says he was obsessed with the show. We on the set feel there's a tremendous urgency. There is something going on in a lot of right-wing ideology that it, it has to do with misogyny and has to do with controlling women. It's understandable that this is hitting a nerve. And don't you think Jesus would um, agree that a woman has the right to choose what to do with her body? Just, I think he would be... Uh, he would be open to having that conversation with me. There's something um, really extreme and dramatic about the idea that, you know, I mean, you, in any church you go and you see a man on a cross, practically naked, bleeding from his wounds, and everyone genuflects and prays to him. I find that so intriguing and poetic and sometimes sexual, sensual. Yeah. And the idea that people are, in a way, it's pagan. <laughs> because people are worshipping a thing. It's just amazing how that's okay to liberals, till birth. But trying to protect a baby is evil. 
And that handmade shit is just getting fucking tired. Celebrities, journalists go crazy for our last little subject. Before we go into news and social media nuggets, I guess while I was away, there was an impeach Trump day. The left's latest attempt to rally support for impeachment was a massive failure for everyone but Hollywood and some media. Liberal billionaire Tom Steyer, need to impeach group, was joined by Move On, the Women's March, Invisible, and other at the Impeach Trump Day of Action, June 15th. Coalition of liberal groups, including California billionaire Tom Steyer, needs to impeach and move on. Women's March, Indivisible, and more held an impeach Trump Day action, 15th. Why are they repeating themselves? I don't know. Although conservatives poked fun at the rallies that fell flat and the poor turnout, which might explain the minimal national media coverage for the event. However, the top promoters of Trump disdain, a.k.a. Hollywood celebrities and media types, tweeted demands to impeach Trump and help rescue democracy in the days leading up to and during the cross-country rallies. Will and Grace star Deborah Messing, actor and producer John Cusack, Rosie O'Donnell, were just a few Hollywood stars issuing tirades against a criminal, sick man, and existential threat. Some CNN contributors did true. CNN original United Shades of America host W. Camus Bell trashed the Trump family and urged people to help rescue democracies from liars, cheats, con artists, and the gleefully uneducated by attending the impeachment Trump event. See, that's a perfect tweet. It talks about him and his voters. We're all fucking losers. Worked great for you in 2016. Hollywood meathead Rob Reiner thanked all the people planning to rally against Trump, saying the lies and the racism and criminality have to end. Thank you to everyone joining a Pete Trump protest this Saturday. If you want to see the sick man removed from office, please join. Messing promoted the event over 130 Hashtag impeach Trump rallies planned for this weekend. Time to get out there and push Congress to defend the Constitution and impeach this criminal president. Another frantic June 15th tweet. Messing added, impeach Trump, impeachment inquiry now. We've been screaming for the rooftops that Trump lied and obstructed the investigation that proves he welcomed aid for a foreign adversary. He continues to criminally obstruct. The full facts been shared to the American people. Okay, are we done now? Well, none of that's true, so I guess not. O'Donnell tweeted, time to impeach, and used the digital red pen to express herself in the hashtag. <laughs> Sorry, allergies. Two and a half men, John Cryer, I don't like Donald Trump, and reacted pretty much says it all, impeach Trump. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cusack directed his anger towards House Speaker Nancy Pelosi because he hadn't supported calls for impeachment. Pelosi has to go. It's come to that. That's what he tweeted. Modern Family producer Danny Zucker considered the anti-Trump rally as a fitting way to mark the occasion of Trump's birthday. And comedian Chelsea Handler tweeted, This weekend you have the chance to do two of the things that make Trump angriest. Protest him and bring up impeachment. That's all the reason you need to join impeach Trump rally. CNN and ABC contributor and podcast host Tara Setmeyer wrote, Trump is an existential threat to the republic. The POTUS justified and invited foreign interference. These comments are impeachable and in and of themselves. This is unpatriotic, un-American, unworthy of the president, and undermines our national security. Followed by the red angry swearing emoji. So, <clears throat> they didn't read, I guess, the report. And they continue on with impeach Trump, but so does our media. So here's a nice little montage, just over the last, what, seven, eight days, of Trump fucking hate... So go to a music break and news, social media nuggets. The president of the United States, and he says, get out of this room because you coughed. What you know is to know Trump is to hate Trump. To know Trump 
is to hate Trump, meaning everybody who knows him deep down hates him completely. You know, it's funny you said that because Michael Wolff, who has a new book out, um, gave an interview. And I think that there's lots of reasons that people have been skeptical of some of the things reported in Michael Wolff's book. One of the big bombshells was denied by uh, the Office of Special Counsel. So I don't I make no determination about the, the factual accuracy of that book. But he said exactly the same thing. He said that every person who works with him does secretly despise him. Ivanka despises him. Jared despises him. You know this are other fact, children. You're, just, you're, you're deducing this from the behavior of the man that you spent time around. Correct. I'm deducing it from the behavior and from the fact... Because he treats people like that. Exactly. When you're around a person who devalues you, humiliates you, ignores you, shames you, what possible other reaction could you have other than despise, to despise him? And what happens is there's a percentage of people who feel that way and don't care. Right. Because he's serving some other, or they believe he's serving some other agenda that they share. But it is extraordinary to imagine the level of isolation that he has reached. He's That's now alone point. in this White House. And I mean, alone, you remember when Nixon was walking around talking to the walls, but there were still a few people. There was Haig and, and there was Diane Sawyer. There were a few people around who he still talked to. There's nobody with Trump who he pays any attention to, he'll, who he'll give the sufficient respect to that there's an actual dialogue that can take right. place. I mean, that that's what worries me. I mean, you know, this is sort of character study, but again, it's character study in the context of, you know, are we going to go to war with Iran? Yeah, and that's a conversation. <laughs> I mean, no, that's I mean, that, a conversation is... he's having with himself because he, he really does believe. This is part of the doubling down. The more insecure he gets, the more inflated he becomes. Right. So yes. he believes even more in his... Uh, omniscience. And then there's people that are around who are opportunistically cultivate that to their own policy ends, which is also my fear, particularly in the context of Iran, when there are people like particularly John Bolton, who have, we know, for long periods of time, desired this particular policy. Yes. Idea. So he will put up with anything Bolton will. Right. But, he's in that category. Yes. But Trump will turn on him one day the opposite way he was the previous day. Yes. So good luck to John Bolton. <laughs> Today it may be okay, tomorrow it won't. Right, and that, this has been true of McMulvaney, it's been true of Pompeo, it's been true of, of everyone has the limb sawed off behind them. Yes, and they, and they walk out of it, you know, something close to impotent. I mean, he, 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 re, he reduces you as a human being. But why do people keep signing up to be reduced? I find it just, even watching Mike Pompeo answer questions on the Sunday shows, looking like just a complete befuddled fool, just an absolute fool, stripped down, sitting there trying to deny the reality we've all seen. He calls, you know, accepting foreign inter interference, you know, Washington talk. I think he has a, a certain kind of demonic power, you know, a perverse kind of charisma that sucks people in. And then once they're in, it's very hard to get out. And listen... The proximity to power yeah, has always... The, yeah, you're the Secretary yeah, of State. Exactly. You're the Secretary of State. The whole thing has the feel of a kind of like third-rate Biggest Lounge Act it's, at this point. It's painful. It's getting it's a little... Poconos, you look at You look at it and you go... It's just apart from everything else, you go, man, I've seen this. You know, I've seen this shtick before. Yes, this Where's is, the new material? You know... You know getting tired. A Bobby Vinton imitator <laughs> in 1978 in the Poconos. Bobby Vinton. I'd go see Oof. it. My yes. melody of love. Man, I know that guy kicked it old school. Terry Jacks. 
Terry Jacks. Terry, Terry Jacks tribute band. But yeah. you know, you take that up to the Poconos in 2019. My kids, the are, kids gonna... are not loving it. And so this thing is old. Yeah. Is Donald Trump was a disruptor. Donald Trump was dangerous. But you know, he's looking like, as we continue our pop references, and I mean it, he's looking about as dangerous as Austin Powers after he came out of the, the whole cryogenically frozen thing. Sure it's it's old. It's, it's, it's starting to feel really sticky. This is Elvis in 77. Yeah. Uh, Just kind of lumbering across the stage, ooh. sweating. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was Or, or in Graceland in front of like the six televisions with the uh, big huge bottle of Quaaludes. And, okay. And, 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 <laughs> All right. And a All right. You just took and, it too far. Yeah, you, you were just you pointed one out, old Eddie. guy. I, think I watched it last night reluctantly, I must admit, and it, it, was, it was horrible in every way. <laughs> Horrible in every way. That Elvis, Joe, yeah. is, I think, apt. You nailed it. I think that's right on point. This actually is not all about uh, just sort of trolling Donald Trump this morning. It may sound like it, but it's not. I think yeah. you're going to see correction, and I think you're going to see overcorrection. We mm. see that in most social movements, that when there is an appetite for change, often you go too far in that direction. The idea of what you have on TV you know, you go too far and you start censoring what you have on TV because you don't like the ideas, because you think all of it is a lie. Very rarely is anybody all a lie. Even this president. Does he lie a lot? Yes. Most of the time. More than anything I've ever Most seen. Most of the time. But not but, everything but he says that. is a lie. Think about, think about the despicable people we've had in history. Okay, now I'm going to use an extreme example. Um, think about Hitler. Think about any of those people. Would you say that that person is allowed, or let's put it this way, if you could look back on in history, would you say, well, I'm so glad that that person was allowed a platform so that they could spread their hate and propaganda and lies? Or would you say it probably wasn't the right thing to do to spread that because you knew in the moment that that was a bad person and they were doing bad things? Not only were they hurting people, they were killing people. And so I just think that well, I think that the example matters. And that's a very extreme example. However, <clears throat> We talk about this, and it's good that we do. Comparing anything to an extreme like a Hitler it weakens the argument. Well, Sarah, you didn't vote for him. What are your thoughts when you hear your fellow panelists talking yeah, about what motivated um, them? I'm not surprised by the way that he kind of pulled people in. I have a child. Um, he's 14. He's a young African-American male. And just, you know, the injustices that have been happening around the country, we're extremely fearful, African-American community. And, you know, since he's become president, it has become more fearful um, for us as a people. And so, um, Daryl, why are you shaking your head now? It just amazes me. This is 2019. The race relations and the way that we perceive or way that we say things are happening in this country, I don't see it happening. I mean, there are, in terms of statistics, there has been an uptick in hate crimes. In you can say years. that. I truly don't believe it because I don't see it. I can statistically say anything, but I don't see it. Well, I mean, the people who chart it, for instance, the Anti-Defamation League, they chart I, I don't it. really even call that like the Anti-Defamation League, the Southern Poverty Law Center, to me, those are democratic institutions that will say and manipulate anything. Racism is not a microaggression. Racism is something painful and hurtful. And when we take microaggressions and turn it into the countries against black people, we're literally slapping the people in the face that went through real racism. And did you see Charlottesville as a microaggression? I saw Charlottesville.
feel it's two groups of people that came to fight and do something bad. Good people on both sides, you saw. I saw two groups of people that came together and fought. And both of them were equally wrong. There wasn't good people on both sides. There was the KKK on one side, and then there was the other side. It was, it was for him to say there was good people on both sides to me, that really uh, turned me off in him. Is that when he lost you? Yes, he lost me there. I mean, you set an example as a father. To me, you should have set an example as a president. I don't think he sets a good example for our And children. you didn't expect him to act that way when you voted for him? No, not at all. The presidency, it's, it's a leadership role, and children look to leadership. They didn't um, look to it until Trump got in office. Not, not, not.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's rather call me. Trying to get crazy with this scene. Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Military Corner, Bill requires Spanish translations on all VA fact sheets. He's a Democrat. He says his constituents are all 60% Hispanic or they're retired. Problem is, they have to go to ESL before they can join the Army so they can speak English. What the fuck? U.S. Navy to dub newest rescue ship Cherokee Nation. Not saying anything. It's like Obama never left with the military. I guess a lot of liberals got promoted. At least one Air Force base has issued a threat brief on incels. At least one Air Force base is looking for a sinister new threat. Angry men who can't get laid. Personnel of the Joint Base Andrews in Maryland were recently threatened to, th- treated, excuse me, to a threat brief regarding to increase in nationwide activity by self-described incels. Members of an online subculture of involuntary celibacy who adopt an ideology of misogyny, mistrust of women, and violence in response to their failed attempts at romantic relationships. Indeed, the screenshot appeared today after Brian Isaac Clyde, a former Army infantryman who frequently posted memes that referenced the incel movement alongside anti-government conspiracies to his Facebook page, was shot by federal officers. The screenshot featured a reproduction of an internet meme popular among incels known as Becky versus Stacy, a derivative of the Virginia Walk or Virginia versus Chad meme that contrasts awkward virgin incels against imaginary hyper masculine bro known as Chad. The Becky versus Stacy memes purportedly reflects how incels judge women based solely on their physical features. Yeah. It's like I just read Portuguese, because none of that makes sense to me, so we're moving on. The U.S. plan to survive a Soviet nuke was absolutely bonkers. A sudden flash, mushroom cloud, a sudden expanding pressure wave, and the event of a thermonuclear attack, seeing these things means it's probably too late to survive. So the U.S. developed warning systems to give Americans a heads up before the bomb landed, but that begs the question, what do you do if you have just an hour until your city blows up? Coordinating protection and relief for civilians in war falls to civil defense workers, and America's civil defense program underwent an overhaul after World War II. Many of the funding and legislative changes were focused on responding to atomic and nuclear threats. But a hearing in 1955 revealed that civil defense was, uh, let's say, far from robust. How far? Well, Administrator Val Peterson told Congress that Americans should learn to dig holes in the ground and curl up and then to escape nuclear fallout. But it also offered that the government could dig trenches next to highways for about 25 cents per mile and then cover the trenches with boards and soil for additional protection. In some areas, the boards and dirt could be replaced with tar paper. 
Even at the time, the public realized a huge shortcoming of the plan. Ditches don't last. That to be dug for a specific attack. And the diggers would need at least a few days' notice to provide shelter for a significant portion of the city. This is the six survival secrets for the atomic attacks that was from 1955. Always put first things first and try to get shelter. Drop flat on the ground on floor. Bury your face in your arms. We used to do that to the blast. Face the blast. Remember that in basic and the military? Never lose your head and don't rush outside after a bombing. Don't take chance with food or water. Don't start rumors. This whole article, I don't have time to read it because it's already over two hours, but what the fuck, Chuck? The Air Force has a new drone-killing microwave weapon named Thor. Yeah, the Air Force Research Laboratory at Kirkland Air Force Base unveiled the weapon Thursday morning in a live demonstration with local reporters who watched the system effortlessly knock a hovering drone out of the sky with an invisible and inaudible electromagnetic wave. The $15 million system called the Tactical High-Powered Microwave Operational Responder, or THOR, gotta love our acronyms, disabled the unmanned aerial vehicle in a flash, but my point, and why I covered it, why the fuck would you put that out when we just had Iran shoot down a uh, drone, folks? They're going to get it. Other countries going to get that shit. It's, it's capitalism. And lastly, retired Green Beret to be awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for Heroics in Afghanistan. Master Sergeant Larry Hawks, a retired engineer sergeant who served with 3rd Special Force Group, is being awarded the Distinguished Service Cross on Friday for valorous action in Afghanistan in 2005. Lieutenant General Fran Boudet, Commanding General of U.S. Army Special Operations Command, will present the Army's second highest award to Hawks while conducting, un- excuse me, conducting armed reconnaissance of a town Hawks came under intense small arms, rocket-propelled grenade and mortar fire while moving to an interdict enemy combatants attempting to reposition themselves on the high ground west of the village. He discovered one of his comrades was pinned down by enemy fire. Sergeant First Class Hawks, without regard for his own safety, dismounted from the vehicle and charged towards the enemy position on the high ground under continuous fire, engaged, and neutralized the enemy position. Back in the day, that would have got you the CMH. But... He'll get the Distinguished Service Cross. A lot of people are getting upgraded. We've been talking about it. Every time it comes, I'm going to talk about it. It's good shit. Two are college crazy. Penn College offers Queering God course. Yeah, I said that. Swathworth College offers a course on Queering God, mostly taught during spring 2019 semester, that provides a feminist and queer perspective of the Bible, while also exploring God's gender identity. The course taught by Professor Gwyn Kessler questions whether God is a masculine or feminine figure through the examination of feminist and queer writing. Its course description says the class stretches the limits of gendering and sexing the divine. Key themes of the class also outlined in the course description include gender, Embodiment, masculinity, liberation, sexuality, and feminist and queer theory. Part of the students' community definitely wants to have more representation and to have LGBTQ issues addressed in courses and elsewhere on campus. This means spreading awareness and getting people to action through taking courses like this. So, what that really goes down to, regular people think, because we hate those fucking Christians, we're going to insult the fuck out of their religion and do a class about queer God. 
We would never do that to Muslims because they would chop our fucking head off. Yeah. Okay. University of Oregon. I love my ducks, but goddamn you people. Students demand removal of the Pioneer statue. Yeah. We got mascots again. It's, it's on its 100 year anniversary. The statue depicts a pioneer standing on a rock with a rifle slung over his shoulder and a whip in his right hand. Although no suspects were identified, the statue was vandalized in April with red spray paint on its crotch and whip. A tweet that they had. A lot of our students feel oppressed by the statue. (laughs) A brass statue. Oppressed me. Sculptor Alexander Fimister Proctor, who designed the statue, installed the university in 1919 aimed to celebrate the achievements of the pioneers. Daily Emerald reported the U of Or Negative American Student Union protested for the removal in May on the 100-year anniversary of the statue's installation on campus. According to the Daily Emerald, Brent Gilsberg, co-leader of the NASU, organized a protest with the hopes of getting a list of signatures and support of statue removal. A lot of our students feel oppressed by the statue. I know when I walk away under it, I feel very inferior. That statue makes me feel. An inanimate object hurts my feelings. I don't feel that way when I'm on other places of the campus. I don't feel like that's what the university community wants us to feel like when we're here. Uh, NASU member Ryan Reed suggested the rifle slung over the pioneer's shoulder made him feel uncomfortable. A lot of people think pioneers are frontiersmen and explorer. For us, it's a totally different definition. That feeling comes from what he's carrying on his shoulder. He's carrying it on his belt. It's a rifle. The U of O fully appreciates that to many Oregonians, including those of Native American ancestry, stands for something very different. The framing of history from our, from only one culture's perspective, Molly Blanket said. We take those views very seriously. Last winter, the U of O established a presidential working group to take all these stupid, petty things and listen to it. Later on, it's about disrespecting our tribe, yada, yada. But the motherfucker that it's after wasn't even dealing with the tribe. He was running from the tribe who was trying to kill them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's just not University of Oregon. Backlash after Illinois Commission suggests public retirement of a native mascot. Same reason. Chief Iliwek. <laughs> Gotta get rid of him. He's a motherfucker. Most of you dumbasses don't even know what the statue is. It's a frontiersman. Yeah, see, you don't even know what it is. But this one doesn't surprise me at all. The next one, incoming Texas freshmen threatened with doxing if they join join conservative campus group. The Autonomous Student Network in Austin, Texas, a group that was previously suspended for Twitter after posting private information belonging to supporters of then-Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, is now threatening to do the same to incoming University of Texas Austin freshmen who joined the conservative student organization. Hey, UT23, do you want to be famous? If you join YCT, Young Conservatives of Texas, or Turning Point USA, you just might be. Your name and more could end up article like one of these... We're going to dox you. We're just like CNN. Yeah. Hmm. That's fan-fucking-tastic. You know, if Fox doxed people, oh, this would be a big story. But since CNN does it, we don't talk about it. To our another sexual assault gone wrong, she accused them of rape. Every witness present said no sexual contact occurred. They were both expelled. 
In a first-of-its-kind ruling, a judge in Tennessee has ruled that even a private college must provide basic due process to the accused. At Rhodes College, two male football players identified in court documents as just J.S. and Z.W. were accused of rape by C.S., a woman. J.S. and C.S. attended a formal event together at J.S. fraternity Sigma Alpha Epsilon. Court documents state that C.S. consumed a large quantity of alcohol, smoked weed, used cocaine, huffed fucking paint, then she became ill, and then she said they raped me. And it was all fucking stupid. Jesus Christ. Later in the article, this one cracks me up. CS then claimed EM is not okay and she made it all happen. CC reported the next day that CS said she thinks she was raped, but she doesn't know if she's misremembering things. <laughs> CS was taken to the hospital and a sexual assault kit was performed. That exam would reveal superficial injuries to her ass. This evidence was included last minute during GS and ZW student hearing. They were not informed of being included, giving them no way to rebut the evidence. In court filings, the pair said the injuries could have been caused by common gastrointestinal issues or even consensual anal sex, which is not what happened or what was claimed. So she tore her ass after she did paint, meth, spice, drank toilet bowl cleaner, and then said she was raped. It was all a lie. Yeah. That fucking just doesn't surprise me. We do want every podcast, because this Me Too thing, the, the results is every girl goes, well, I just don't like that motherfucker, so he raped me. It's the new technique. Moving on to stupid shit that's even more stupid than that. MasterCard to let non-binary genders pick whatever name they desire on the cards. So now we have genderless credit cards. Wow. Piece of plastic. Got them so upset, that piece of plastic. My piece of plastic doesn't say, or whatever their fucking pronoun is. Okay. Supreme Court sides with Oregon Bakery. They refuse to make cake for same-sex wedding. You already know it by now. I won't go over it. It was all over conservative media. That's a win for us. We'll fucking take it. Mm-hmm. But NBC won't, because now NBC is saying, hey, these kids are awesome because they're telling their parents they're fucking cavemen because they don't believe there's 95 fucking pronouns. This morning, we're kicking off a special series called Pride 50 with an eye-opening look at gender fluidity. How the teens of Gen Z are changing the rules and educating their parents. From the moment we're born, we're defined by our gender. Think about the first thing people ask. Is it a boy or a girl? Most of us were raised according to those stereotypes, but now Generation Z, the new generation, they're changing all that. From the clothes they buy to the pronouns they use, teens are rewriting the rules of gender. And it's impacting nearly every part of our culture. Mainstream clothing brands like H&M and Zara have introduced gender-neutral clothing lines. Popular TV shows like Orange is the New Black and Billions featured gender-fluid characters. And 10 states in Washington, D.C. now offer a gender-neutral X option on their driver's licenses. But is embracing gender-fluid just a phenomenon on the liberal coasts? To find out, we went to Katy, Texas, a conservative middle-class suburb of Houston, where we gathered this group of teens. I'm Layla, and I'm 13. I'm Kenny, and I'm 15. And their parents. They say when it comes to these new definitions of gender, kids are educating them for the better. I kind of have a choice. I can either, as I age, I can close my mind and be stuck where I was. 
10, 15 years ago, or I can continue to open my mind. I mean, you guys are going to be old and you can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing stopping us anymore. And then we can pass it on down to our kids. What the fuck, Chuck? Meet the new American family, transgender, queer, clown nuns. Yeah, I just read that. What is the ideal American family? Is it a loving mother and father with happy children living on their own property with a white picket fence? Nope. According to The Guardian, it's gender queer family of clown nuns. To honor the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, The Guardian has published a series of articles under the category Stonewall at 50, which exclusively panders to LGBT issues. Yesterday, the lefty UK paper released an article entitled The New Non-Binary Family, Trans Queer Gender... Genderqueer, non-binary, two-spirit. The article shared the stories of six different families, all of which oppose the traditional heteronormative Judeo-Christian idea of family. The article gave the story of Reverend Hicks, 31-year-old genderqueer sister of perpetual indulgence who created a family of clown nuns, and I'm not reading anymore! You fucking freaks! Talking about freaks, Netflix signs trans producer Janet Mock for more LGBT diversity. In the article, but the new defined LGBTQIQCAPGNGFNBA. They added some more letters. So I'm going to stick with my EIEIO. L-G-B-T-E-I-L. It it works. Google celebrates a gender-neutral Father's Day. On June 16th, Google chose to acknowledge Father's Day with a gender-neutral doodle that had an article from Summit News saying, depicted a family with looking something like a cross between Teletubbies and a duck. You you knew they had to do it. They they just, they have to. They're they're Google. This is America today. Teen Vogue, yes, sex work is real. So what exactly is sex work? Not all sex workers engage in penetrative sex, though undeniably that is a big part of sex work. Sex worker services between consenting adults may include companionship, intimacy, non-sexual role-playing, dancing, escorting, and stripping. These roles are often predetermined, and all parties should be comfortable with them. Many workers take on multiple roles with their clients, and some may get more physical with others' interaction. That may have started off as sexual, but could evolve into emotional and psychological bonding. The clients who seek sex work are very... And they're not just men. The idea of purchasing intimacy and paying for the services can be affirming for many people who need human connection, friendship, and emotional support. Some people may have fantasies and kink preferences that they are able to fulfill with the service of a sex worker. Everybody in the world, including me, said at the same time, Is this the right audience for this little thing? I mean, could you, any editor over there, just for a second, we're talking to fucking teenagers? Who will pick up a computer and go, yeah, I'm going to show my vagina to the world. And then go back to high school when some jackass saw my vagina. And now I got problems. Yeah. We might want to think that out. To our crazy crime. This one's horrible. Boy 7 reportedly beaten to death by mother for refusing to dress like a girl. It was in Mexico. She was trying to make him a girl. Beat him to fucking death. Jesus Christ. This one? Just 
sums up 2016 to now. Florida woman stabs herself because she doesn't want to live in Trump country. A woman in Palmetto, Florida stabbed herself multiple times in the stomach with a kitchen knife because she's tired of living in Trump country. According to a police report, an officer arrived at the scene and asked the woman what's wrong. She showed the officer three stab wounds on her midsection and said, I'm tired of living in Trump country. I'm tired of Trump being president. She was then transported to medical center and also to get a mental health check under the Baker Act. Obama was a fucking piece of shit. I never thought about stabbing myself with a fucking spork. I mean, what the fuck, dude? Get a goddamn grip. This one cracked me up. Um, Organic food and the stupid reasons people buy it. I'm just going to go through the classification. The Earth Savior. That's literally what they call them. Hey, I got I to gotta make the picture bigger. I can't read the picture. Hold on a second. This is just a funny ass shit. The Earth Savior. Uh, he is worried about the ozone declining. Let me flip it up. Sorry. Honeybee populations and shrinking coral reefs. Sometimes he believes the answer has to be free range goat burgers. <laughs> The bike to worker. He sometimes imagines that water is worth $4.95 per bottle if the label features a leaf-themed logo. Also, he has yet to actually compare the nutrient information of his protein energy nut bar with that of a Snickers. The terrified suburbanite. A million hours, a lifetime Oprah watching. Boom! This is what you get. The hipster jackass. Like most things, her views on organic food have become completely detached from reality. Grows her own food, drives a drives a vegetable oil-fueled car, and may go so far as to buy gluten-free pot. <laughs> and then the person who buys organic food for reasons unaccompanied, uncomplicated by bullshit. They actually debate his existence. Oh my god, that was some funny shit. Uh, I read it the first time, but second time's better. Then a long story, I'm not going to read it. This is a nightmare. A woman fell asleep mid-flight and woke up trapped in a dark plane. No shit. Flying over streets to Ireland. She was asleep when they landed. Nobody came and looked for her. The cleaners, the next, uh, the cleaners hours later opened the plane and there she was. Yeah. That's some fucked up shit. We do not have a lighter fare today, so we're going to go straight in to This Is America. This is once again Project Veritas. They got Google, Google, which could be called Google. It's the same shit. On the record saying they're going to stop Trump. Enjoy. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last sound bite. Like the media say when they 
This is America in 2019. Um, the reason why I decided to come to Project Veritas is because um, people need to know what's actually going on with Google. There's this facade about what they're doing, but what they're actually doing, what the employees are actually seeing inside the company, is different. Well, the reason we launched our AI principles because people were not putting that line in the sun. They were not saying what is fair and what's equal. So we're like, well, we are a big company. We're going to say it. People voted for the current president do not agree with our definition of fairness. They're not objective piece. They're not an objective source of information. But then there are teams uh, which are called ML fairness. ML fairness, the teams? Fairness, like, yeah. you know, you need to be fair. We're also training our algorithms, like, if 2016 happened again, would we have, would the outcome be different? They are a highly biased political machine um, that is bent on never letting somebody like Donald Trump come to power again. But 2020 is certainly on top of this is a Goliath I'm but of David trying to say that the Emperor has no clothes. He got called in front of Congress multiple times. They can pressure us, but not changing. Being a small little ant, I can be crushed and I'm aware of that. But this is something that is bigger than me. This is something that needs to be said to the American public. Elizabeth Warren is saying that we should break up Google. I'm like, I love her, but she's very misguided. Like, that will not make it better. It'll make it worse. Because now all these smaller companies who don't have the same resources that we do will be charged with preventing the next Trump situation. It's like a small company. And it's like... Earlier this year, a Facebook insider exposed de-boosting of conservatives on Facebook. That insider inspired someone at Pinterest to come to Project Veritas with his story. Last week, we released a report from the Pinterest insider Eric Cochran detailing censorship of pro-life and Christian content. The tech companies can't fight us all. Today, we bring you a Google insider a brave man who came forward and brought us a story that will scare you. I think sunlight is the best disinfectant and people need to start asking questions. A couple weeks before the Google Insider came forward, Project Veritas secretly recorded with Jen Janai, a Google executive. Janai talks about making sure when people search for things through machine learning algorithms, Google's political agenda is always present. We all got screwed over in 2016. Right after Donald Trump won the election in 2016, the company did a complete 180 in uh, what they thought was important. Before, they thought self-expression and giving everyone a voice was important. But uh, now they're like, hey, there's a lot of hate, and because of there's a lot of hate and misogyny and racism, that's the reason why Donald Trump got elected. And so we need to uh, fix that. We need to start policing our users because we don't like to have an outcome 
uh, like that. We don't want to have an outcome like that to happen again. Yeah, let's 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 talk a little about that. Um, so, um, tell me more about what you observed at these meetings right after Trump was elected. Who said it? What was said exactly? So the. The things that changed was that the TJFs, they started talking about the need to combat hate and racism online, and also um, at YouTube, they had the same like talks by the CEO, Susan, um, and they, they, they talked about combating that and getting rid of unfairness. And so slowly they started introducing uh, the concept of uh, machine learning fairness. Jen Janai is the head of responsible innovation at Google Global Affairs. She determines policy and ethics for machine learning, or artificial intelligence. What we've learned is that AI is increasingly what Google Search is all about. The reason we launched our AI principles because people were not putting that line in the sand. They were not saying what is fair and what's equal. So we're like, well, we are a big company. We're going to say it. Where my definition of fairness and bias specifically talks about uh, historically marginalized communities, and that's who I care about. Communities who are communities who are in power and have traditionally been in power are not who I'm solving fairness for. Our definition of fairness is one of those things that we thought would be like obvious and everybody would agree to, and it won't. Like there are the same people who voted for the current president do not agree with our definition of fairness. Fairness is a dog whistle. It does not mean what you think that it means, and you have to apply double think in order to understand what they're really saying. And what they're really saying about fairness is that they have to manipulate their search results so that it gives them their political agenda that they want. And so they have to rebias their algorithms so that they can uh, they can get their agenda across. You know, to unpack everything that she's saying, saying that she wants to be she wants the algorithm to be fair to a, a, a hand-picked representative of that community means that what she's trying to do is she's trying to sell you a product that is not objectionable. What she's trying to do is she's trying to sell a product that's not objective, that doesn't represent the will of its users, but instead represents the will of a, of a, of a group of people making decisions behind the shadows. So what did you find inside Google? that was related to this idea of fairness? What I found at Google related to fairness was a machine learning algorithm called ML Fairness, ML standing for machine learning. And fairness, meaning whatever it is that they want to define as fair. You could actually think of fairness as unfair because it's um, taking as input the clicks that people are making and then figuring out which signals are being generated from those clicks and which signals it wants to amplify and then also dampen. So I have google.com up in front of me and I'm going to try to put this AI machine learning thing to the test. I'm going to type in the following words. Men can. And I see Men can have babies, men can get pregnant, men can have periods, men can cook. 
do most people search for that stuff, or what is the company doing internally? No, people people aren't searching for this. This is this is literally coming from source of truth databases that they've selected represent the truth, and that they are pulling this information from. And then we try it again with, let's try this with women. Can I don't see. I see women can vote. Women can do it. Women can do anything. Women can be drafted. Yes. That seems a little interesting. So all these examples are um, are part of the social justice narrative, right? And so the sources of truth that ML Fairness is selecting from to amplify um, are saying these keywords, and and so because that source of truth has been vandalized, the output of the algorithm. Is also reflecting that vandalism. Project Veritas also received a trove of confidential documents from within Google. This document is about algorithmic unfairness. It reads, quote, "For example, imagine that a Google image query for CEOs shows predominantly men. Even if it were a factually accurate representation of the world, it would be algorithmic unfairness." Unquote. Gorov Gite, a Google software engineer, independently verified the thesis of this document. But then there are teams which are called ML fairness. ML fairness, the teams. Fairness, like, yeah. You know, you need to be fair. Yeah. So they are trying to modify the model such that even if the data for a female CEO says it's low, no, yeah, it's low. It kind of balances out. It still balances out. Now this is a, a confidential document, correct? Yes. This is not a document that Google has come out and admitted that this is their process. That's correct. Um, and in this in this document, it says I'm going to read from it. In fact, in fact, if you brought this up without the document, they would say that this is a conspiracy theory. Wow. So then they wouldn't admit this publicly. They would never admit this publicly. In in this document, it says in some cases it may be appropriate to take no action if the system accurately affects current reality, while in other cases. It may be desirable to consider how we might help society reach a more fair and equitable state via product intervention. What do they mean by that? So, what they want to do is they want to act as gatekeepers between the user and the content that they're trying to access. And so they're going to come in, they're going to filter the content, and they're going to say,、ah, "Actually, we don't want to give the user access to that information because it's going to create a, a, an outcome that's undesirable to us." So this was an internal-only Google document, which says the goal is to establish quote a single point of truth for definition of news across Google products unquote. What does this What does this mean? Um, when they mean single point of truth, what they mean is alignment with the narrative, and so the narrative come is manufactured by、um, establishment players. And what they're looking to do is they're looking to boost authoritative content. Accusations on random fairness is that we're unfair to conservatives because we are choosing what we define as credible news sources, and those news sources don't necessarily overlap with conservative sources. And so we're getting accusations on fair from one side. Does Google have an editorial agenda 
uh, does the company make news decisions? Is that what I'm seeing in this document? Yes. Um, this is describing what's happening with, the, with, the, with Google News. Would Google have a problem if people saw this document? Yeah, I think so. Why wouldn't Google want people to see this document? Uh, the reason why is because um, right here um, in uh, some of these boxes, they're applying um, editorial, uh, their, their editorial agenda onto uh, the news sources. And if you were to expand that, you would see that there's uh, machine learning uh, fairness within these uh, algorithmic checks. And they state right here that it's for quality and extractability, but in reality, it's, 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 does it fall in line with their, um, with their agenda? And if it does, it, it pops to the top, and if it doesn't, then it gets buried. Other internal documents expose Google's hopes for ML fairness. Training data are collected and classified. Algorithms are programmed. Media are filtered, ranked, aggregated, and generated. People, like us, are programmed. Sounds like social engineering, not search querying. Google's power has become a political issue, with politicians on both sides of the aisle debating whether antitrust legislation or other regulations and controls are in order. We got called in front of Congress multiple times, and we have not shown up because we were like, we just know they're going to just attack us. Like, we're not going to change our We're not going to change your mind. There's no point in just sitting there being attacked for something that we know we're not going to change. Like, they can pressure us, but we're not changing. Right now, there's a lot of chatter in Washington, D.C., antitrust discussions and legislation being mentioned about breaking up Google. How do your bosses or the people that you work with inside of Google feel about that? Um, for the most part, they're, they're ignoring it. To them, it's not even happening. Um, they don't see it as a real threat because it's something that's already happened before and passed. She just said what Google's really thinking, and they won't say in public. But she just said, you know, what a lot of us see and know to be true. And you guys just got her, and she was just she just said the truth. They're not an objective piece. They're not an objective source of information. They are a highly biased political machine. Um, that is bent on never letting somebody like Donald Trump come to power again. 2020 is certainly on top of now my old organization, Trust and Safety, is top of mind. They've been working on it since 2016 to make sure we're ready for 2020. So training our algorithms, like if 2016 happened again, would we have, would the outcome be different? It's unclear what Janai is exactly referring to, but Google's political agenda is undeniable.
What are some other things I can type here? Hillary Clinton's emails are doesn't even it doesn't even give you a result. Google is suggesting that people do not search for this term. Is that correct? That's what they're saying. It's not even worth returning any results. But people do search for this. Absolutely. And you can tell that because you can cross-reference some of their other services that prove that people are. If you want to get an example, go to trends.google.com. Okay, I'll do that right now. Trends.google.com. And uh, shall I tell Hillary Clinton's emails, yes. Okay, and set it to the, la the last five years. Seems like we had a spike in October of 2016. It says 100. I guess that is that 100. It's all relative. So in order to get an idea of the relative importance of this, you're going to want to compare it against another search term. Let's type in Donald Trump's emails. Okay. Show me what I'm looking at here. So what we see right here is relative to the search term of Hillary Clinton's emails, Donald Trump's emails has no search traffic. No search traffic. Now let's go back to Google.com and search for Donald Trump's emails, and it should show us no autocomplete because, according to Google, no one searches for it compared to Hillary Clinton's emails. But it does. It gives us a whole bunch of different examples for autocomplete. So nobody's, fewer people search for this, and it autocompletes, and everyone searches for Hillary Clinton's email, and it doesn't. That's right. What's the explanation? Well, according to them, Hillary Clinton's emails is a conspiracy theory, and it's unfair to return results based on her emails. And so through their program of ML Fairness, they've deleted the autocomplete off the Internet like it didn't even exist. How did they do that? Was it manually? Was it a human being? Was it a, was it, was it a machine? AI? Well, the way that it works is that they're training the AI now with uh, a human, with a bunch of humans that you consider them social justice warriors or whatever you want to label them, but they are feeding the information and training the AI so that it will uh, return results like this. And when they aren't able to, um, to, to train it, there's actually something that will, someone that will go through and manually delete certain keyword terms or put it as a blacklist. There's a lot of people filing bugs internally against Google, like against these invalid results, and they ignore them because they've got no interest in fixing uh, things that go against their social justice narrative or uh, reduce what they consider to be fair. Google is protected by Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It says, quote, No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider, unquote. Meaning, Google is not liable for any content on their platform. Some people think a solution is this Section 230 and taking it away. I mean, they violated not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Section 230... Uh, says that in order for them to be a platform, they can't censor the content 
that they have. Instead, they've decided to act as a publisher, making them responsible for everything that they put on. And they're still masquerading as a platform, even though they're acting as a publisher. It doesn't stop with Google search. Our insider says political biases are censoring voices on YouTube, owned by Google as well. He says the YouTube rollout discussion was at a rather bizarre location. We didn't have it. It was a special occasion that happened um, uh, in May. And they, um, they invited us all to the Masonic Temple to talk about the future of the company uh, for YouTube. And they described that they were going to have more content filtering. And right after that happened, um, a lot of the content creators started to get demonetized. Um, and their uh, videos started to get deranked. I'm talking about um, Dave Rubin, um, talking about Carpe Diem, talking about Tim, uh, Tim Pool, um, and a lot of the other content creators that are within the YouTube ecosystem just saw their, 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 their view counts just go through the floor. What did YouTube do to make their view counts go down? So Google is targeting what they consider to be right-wing news commentators. So that includes um, Tim Pool, Dave Rubin, Stephen Crowder, and a host of other right-wing people that they are coming in and they're deciding that they don't want these opinions to have a wide appeal. And so they're coming in and they're putting their thumb down and they're deciding which content the users are allowed to see. The way that Google is able to target people is that they take videos and then they do a uh, transliteration through using artificial intelligence. And they look at the translated text of what those people are saying, and then they assign certain categories to them, like right-winger or, um, or, or, or news talk. And then they're able to, to take those and apply their algorithmic rebiasing unfairness algorithms to them so that their content is suppressed across the platform. Specifically, the insider verified that PragerU, the conservative educational YouTube channel, and talk show host Dave Rubin's videos received heightened analysis in the artificial intelligence program Viacon. Viacon polices YouTube distribution, singling Prager and Rubin out as right-wing and news talk. So they're applying narrative control. What's scary about this to you? What's scary is that Google's deciding what's important and what's not important. Um, they are going through and they're effectively deleting conversations from the, the, the national narrative. It reminds me of a book called 1984, and that should have been a warning. 1984 should not be a user manual on how to run society. And Google's falling directly into that trap where they're deciding what gets read what gets consumed, what people are able to click on, what appears. Um, you know, it reminds me a lot of fascism. Like, you know, it's not just about burning books. When videos get pulled off of a platform, that's also a form of censorship. I've been living this for, um, you know, years. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, that's what it is. And for other people, it's shocking. But for me, it's like, this is why I'm coming forward, hmm. because it is shocking. People have no idea that it's happening, and they still think that Google is an objective source of information, and it's not. Are you afraid? Um, I am afraid. 
um, I was more afraid, but um, I, I had a lot of difficulty with the concept of, uh, you know, my life ending because of this. But um, I, I imagined what the other world would look like, and it's not a place that I'd want to live in. What do you think is going to happen next for you? Um, uh, hopefully I get away with it and uh, nothing bad happens, but um, bad things can happen. I mean, this is a behemoth. This is a Goliath. I'm but a David trying to say that the emperor has no clothes. And um, being a small little ant, I can be crushed, and I'm aware of that. But this is something that is bigger than me. This is something that needs to be said to the American public. This year, insiders approached Project Veritas and told their stories, exposing the giants in Silicon Valley. Thanks to the bravery and courage these insiders are showing, big tech is being held accountable. This is a watershed moment. It's not the New York Times or CBS News doing the work. It's individual citizens, anonymous heroes who put their careers on the line, and they've struck a nerve and found their voice at Project Veritas. People always ask me, what can I do? You can follow the lead of Eric Cochran and the Google Insider. You too can be brave, wear a camera, and contact us securely at projectveritas.com slash brave. Totally not surprising whatsoever. Um, let's be honest. We've already talked about it. We did it during the 2016 cycle. They can literally manipulate the outcome so easy. They always do it with the Google searches. We talk about all the time how it's biased left. It's pushing you to liberal sites. It's just what they're going to do. So you know it's going to be all outpressed by Apple, Google, MSN. I mean, it is starting. I fight my phone monthly as they send me more and more dumb shit that I never asked for. I got the card shut off, yet I still get anti-Trump articles in my phone. It's a notification that I didn't even ask for. Because Google, Google is going to fucking play their game. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends and send comments about the track by sending an email to foppodcast at gmail.com. F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Get some emails to me. I need some ideas. Hook a brother up. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and our Twitter page at Fop. Tony Reed. Next podcast is going to be Sunday, the 30th. Um, figure that's a good day. She should be a little bit better by then. Um, and then I'll try to get a Wednesday one that week. But I, I still got to check all our appointments. But we're going to try to do a week one and an end one. This one's a little bit longer because of sound bites. And I had other ones. I got a good lighter fare for next show. Um, Finding Forest. Anybody remembers UFC back in the day when it was actually good? Um, Forest Griffith. Griffin is in there. Um, so that's when I really want to play. I hope you all have a great week and a good weekend. I know down here we've been dodging a lot of thunderstorms. Got some more coming back next week. I lost a beautiful Bradford pear. I got to get a tree topper because I, I can't go out and do it while the wife's down. It's just not safe. 
Um, but yeah, be safe. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. And I, for those that are still listening, I thank you so much. I'm really sorry about the lack of podcasts. But once this re- recuperation is over, I'll be back to two a week, uh, regular format, having some fun. But uh, until then, we'll do some of the shorter ones. And as stated, when we started this process, tell me what you think. Shoot me a text. If you're a family member or an email, if you like the shorter ones, we'll go with the shorter ones. Um, maybe that's better than three and a half hours. As always, folks, thank you for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.